When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool. Walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia. Made to travel. James E. James E. It's only two weeks till Christmas, and Tony Claus has already left a lump of coal in our stocking on TV last Wednesday. We're going to talk about that and so much more. Ho, ho, ho! And to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, he's more entertaining than watching the ten lords leaping over the nine dancing ladies to get milked by the eight maids, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I hope everyone out there had a happy Hanukkah. We are now in the holiday season. Ho, ho, ho. Have you ever had one of them milk jobs that the maids give out? The milk? milk maids? <laughs> the milk jobs? No, I don't know about the that. The milk, boy, I'll tell you what, they learn skills in the process of all of the milking that they do. Those milk maids. Oh, you mean the women who actually milk the cows? Yes. Skills, I'm telling you. A farm girl will never disappoint you. Good old Southern farm girls. Oh, so they have to be Southern farm girls. Well, what about the Midwest? What about the Midwest farm girls? They got a lot of cows out there. That's one of the first things I said on Dallas television. We went to world class. I said, here we are. The Dallas, Texas, the home of, I said something else. I said, a home of cowgirls, more cow than girl. (laughs) And the people did not react kindly to that. But you know what they have reacted kindly to over the past week, Brian? The the acapella rendition that I did, well, it was just on the drive-thru, wasn't it? We do so many of these shows, and they last so, so long. Um, It was just on the drive-thru, was it not? Or was it on the experience last week? It was on the experience week? last week. My, how time flies when I'm miserable and do nothing else with my life but pack boxes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they they responded kindly to my acapella rendition, a rendering in the classic sense of the word render, 
of the uh, offshoot of cult of personality called the cult of meat with extra cheese. And they, they've talked about it on Twitter and they, I think the, the YouTube channel alone is at almost 30,000 downloads just for that little clip. And I got started thinking, and I've got to apologize to some people because I know, and we, we deal with many of them, Brian, on the drive-thru where we play the music. We call it a song contest, but nobody really wins or loses. Well, maybe somebody gets their feelings hurt every once in a while by a reaction, but there's no winners or losers. It's a public forum that we do on the drive-thru where the people send the, the songs in, and, and then sometimes we play them more often and they become cult classics themselves, right? So we got a lot of talented musicians in the audience is where I was going with that. And I must apologize to every single one of them. Because think about this. There are bands out there, aspiring bands with dreams and aspirations of being big rock and roll stars and having records or DVD or CDs or playing music at whatever the fucking way they sell music these days or next year or whatever it is. They want to, they want to sell their music. They want to spread their music around the world. They want to get notoriety. They work and they slave. They go on the tours. They're in the minivans with their equipment and their amplifiers like the Beatles when they went to fucking Germany and played the fucking cavern and blah, blah, blah. And they agonize over their lyrics and they get their their musicianship just right and do take after take like fucking Boston trying to put their third album out and they shine this shit up and they get it ready and they put it on YouTube and he gets 743 views and some jack off like me that can't sing a couldn't carry a tune if it had a handle on it couldn't carry a tune in a bushel basket as Aunt Lola used to say and just sits down and in 10 minutes butchers a well-known song and and changes the lyrics around to fit his own personal picadillos. And he gets 30,000 listens on YouTube and people are already calling for the t-shirts and, and they're setting it to the music and putting clips out there. Somebody's probably calling me now trying to give me a record deal on it's the an phone. Man. Yeah, it's right. an A&R man. It's an A&R man. What is that? What is A and R? Is it anal and artist and repertoire? No, that's not oh, what it is. Okay, I'm sorry. But you know, Jim, a lot of people, a lot of music aficionados, are saying that your music career is very reminiscent of the early days of Weird Al Yankovic. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't follow Weird Al in his early days. It's all he, about you know, food. Well, I mean, his. I thought you meant when he was a child. What what formed him? I, I, you know, I heard all the hits, but he was already a grown adult then. I hadn't been following him around. I don't know what formulated Weird Al's opinions on these things, but um, but he could say he could carry a tune, such as a, a short distance. He might drop it once or once or twice, but he could he could get the tune from here to Aunt Ethel's house. I don't know if that's my future. It's really sad to hear about what happened to Vernon Reed this week. What happened? I didn't hear anything happen to Vernon Reed. He heard you singing his song and he hired thugs to pop his eardrums. Oh, oh come on. Doesn't want to hear anymore. For heaven, would you cut that out? That's what he said. That's what he said to the thugs. Yeah. That's like that time I saw you naked and canceled my check to prevent blindness. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, can I tell you something funny? Is that, by the way, is that still funny today? Because the 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 public relations campaign for that send your check to prevent blindness that was back in the sixties. I'm not. It might be more like one of those starvation jokes. People might not get it anymore. Go ahead. In the nineties and like ninety six, me and some of my friends from the local New York wrestling scene were making phony phone calls with Marty Gorman on the line with us. And Marty left a message for this one person, and he said, were you eating donuts or are they just naturally fat? And then he realized what he said, and he goes, I fucked up big time, eh, Tubby? It's <laughs> 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 still one of my favorite ad-libs of all time. Are you eating donuts or are they just naturally fat? Oh, I fucked up big time, hey, Tubby? <laughs> oh, you know, Marty Gorman used to work in a bakery. No, he didn't. Marty Gorman used to work in a bakery up there in Queens or Brooklyn or somewhere. We went and see him one day, and I had a friend of mine with me. I said, you want some of their cookies? They make good cookies. I said, Marty, make up some of the cookies. And what he did was he took a big blob of the dough, and then he pulled his shirt up, and he pressed it against his belly button to get the little thing that sticks up on top of the cookie formed, and he put it on the pan, and he put it in the oven. And the cookies were ready about five or ten minutes later, and the guy was with me. He wouldn't eat any of them. I said, why won't you eat them? They're delicious. He said, well, you, did you see the way that he made them? I said, you should have been here yesterday and seen the way he was making the donuts. Awful. See, you have to think Awful. about it for a minute. All that way for that punchline? See, all the way. See, I can't <laughs> carry a tune or a... a a fucking ex extrapolation of a story there. Um, the other thing is when I've heard some of the versions, and there have been a lot, like you referenced before, of you singing with the actual backing track, you have the vocal stylings of a Lior, dare I say. <laughs> hey! Set it to the music. That's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> Come on now. Well, that's because they put the music in after me, and Lior's hearing the music at the same time. See, I, I, I was just, I was doing it a cappella. You know, you get, get people all the time come up and ask you to sing a cappella, and you do a cappella. Oh, a cappella. Usually you don't see one person <laughs> doing a cappella by themselves. Well, I guess you would do. I'm thinking of rock cappella, actually. The band that was on Where in what? the World is Carmen San Diego. You wouldn't even understand what the are reference. You, what are you <laughs> blathering about now? We sound like, you know what, folks? This sounds like we talk to each other when we're not on the air. That's the sad <laughs> thing about it. We do ridiculous bits and come up with this shit when we're not. You should have heard the septic tank talk before we went on the air today. Oh, no, they uh, shouldn't. Cult of Cornet members. I had, to, I had to smarten Brian last up on what's like to have a septic tank because he, he's, he's one of them city fellers. And he don't know what it's like to have a tank underneath your yard filled with shit and piss. He will soon. And we know what it's like to have bodies buried underneath your yard. But now I'm going to find a whole new experience. Hey, is it true that like everywhere else in the country, before you dig, you see the signs call like, what is it, 411 or whatever, the utility company comes out and makes sure you're not digging into a power line or a of uh, a, a sewer line or whatever is it true that in new jersey they have a special number for you to call so that before you dig you find out whether you're going to dig up any bodies or not oh come on that's all hollywood well I, I thought jimmy hoffa started that trend when they 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 didn't check underneath giant stadium 
before they built a thing. They could have found him after all this time. Again, that's all myths. He wasn't even from New Jersey. I don't I think we're getting a bad rap there. What? No, I didn't say he was from there. I just said he ended up making it his everlasting, eternal resting There's place. There's no evidence that shows that. Why am I there, defending the people that murdered Jimmy Hoffa? Never been proven. Apparently, they were from New Jersey. I don't know that, and you don't know that. And you feel so And you shouldn't incriminate them. Proven. That's not right on a public forum like this. I should not incriminate unnamed people from New Jersey that may or may not have ever existed, but probably did and probably put Jimmy Hoffa underneath the Meadowlands. Slander That's Connecticut. Go here. slander Connecticut a little bit. Come on. Oh, I've slandered Connecticut on a regular basis, a variety of times. What do you think of Maine? I've, you know, it's mainly it's quiet. Um, I have been to I've been to Bangor, but I almost killed her. Um, but I've been <laughs> I've been to <laughs> to Bangor, and I've been. Is there another town in Maine? Give me another town in Maine. I just spent a lot of time in Maine. What about Vermont? You got a problem with Vermont? No, that's where Bernie's from. I like Vermont. It's it's a cute little place. Burlington, Vermont was a cute little building. We did a WWF TV taping there in 1990. I believe it was it was three. It was early on, either three or early four. And the custodian there told me that that was the first building, which this makes sense that Andre the Giant worked in when he came to North America because at that time it was run out of the Montreal office, Burlington, Vermont. You take, you just hop right over the border there. We had to take a ferry boat to get to the town to do the, the WWF TV taping, an actual ferry where you put your car on the goddamn boat and it, or elsewise you had to drive like three and a half hours around a deal. I can't remember the exact logistics. So which states would you say you firmly have a problem with? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Some of these states that I've formerly enjoyed electing some of these politicians, uh, you never know. But uh, no, Connecticut, between the traffic, the prices, the pollution, the confusion, and also the reason I was there. Uh, did not make a great impression on me, but it sure didn't to most other people. I remember JR actually got to work that into his heel promo when they tried to switch him heel. And I moved to this overpriced hellhole. The phrase overpriced hellhole was used to describe Connecticut a lot amongst the entire Southern contingent of employees that worked for the WWF, save Bruce Pritchard, who had become a, a convert and wasn't going to actually knock anybody anyway. But everybody else, oh boy. So that's one state, that's one state you hate. I didn't say I had a problem with New Jersey. I just said they planted Jimmy Hoffa underneath the Meadowlands and you started trying to, like I insinuated that your uncle Guido and his cousin Nunzio had personally done it. Well, Jimbo, what other states do you have a problem with? Why do you keep wanting me to malign? There's good people in most states. There's then, then there's Republicans. No, but there are, forget about politics. There are certain states you may just hate. Every time I go through Delaware, I'm like, oh, this is a dump. I can't wait to get out of Delaware. And luckily, I'll be out of Delaware in about two minutes. Well, I like Delaware because it's, it's not easy to get or not hard to get across. Uh, again, New Jersey with the traffic and those parkways and turnpikes and your highway system, it's chaos. And I'm not a fan. 
and those those rest areas named after famous revolutionary era heroes the clara barton uh rest stop is a little bit much we can unless, get unless clara's gonna be there blowing you there's no reason to stop there for the rotten fucking food and the 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 weak old Sbarro. That's apparently is what passes for Italian up there on the re- in the rest area circuit. Come on. Um, here's another one. To be perfectly honest with you, we went to um Iowa one time and I I wasn't knocked out. I wasn't blown away. I've, I've, I haven't been there much, but it didn't leave a lasting impression on me. Have we got anything we can say about the Iowans? Have you been to every state except Alaska? No, shit. Um, I figured it out. I've never worked in Hawaii, but I've been there. Right. That's why I said been to. Um, but as far as working, I figured out that I've never worked in Alaska or Hawaii or one of the Dakotas. And... I'm trying to remember, was it Wyoming? Shit. I had it marked down in my book years ago when it, when I just decided to keep track of it and count up and it meant something to me. And now it's been so long, I forgot. But uh, just, uh, it's one of those statistics I like to keep. But yes, I've worked in about 46 or 47 states. I can't remember exactly. And then I've worked in British Columbia. Alberta, Winnipeg, obviously Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and one day in New Brunswick. Do they have any other peripheral Canadian provinces over there in that in that end that I'm not thinking about? Did I skip anybody? Maybe. I don't know. I will say this, Winnipeg is the Kansas City of Canada. Really? Take that as you will. Why is that? It would, it, it, there was something too, too remarkable about every place else in Canada. If you, Vancouver is like the Canadian San Francisco. I loved Vancouver. And, you know, so, and it's, it's, it's a nice city and it's there, it's on the water and a blah, blah, blah. Calgary had the Hart family history and legacy and, the wrestling fans there and <clears throat> you know that the, i was there for that uh um the tin man what did canadian they call stampede. it canadian stampede thank you the pay-per-view and what a crowd yeah i tell you what a crowd um ontario obviously toronto my god the sky dome or the rogers said those big crowds and you know major major business montreal uh once you get past that pesky little screw job um and i didn't enjoy the signs are in french and it'll give you a headache trying to figure it out i didn't enjoy reading the road signs but uh montreal wasn't bad and nova scotia at least it 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 had well some redeeming quality in that it wasn't a big city and we had to sit there in the hotel for two days and we've told that story because that was the famous production meeting with kevin dunn however Killer Carl Krupp's wife was running an escort service in town that weekend, and so it wasn't as miserable and lonely for all the boys sitting there for two days as one would think, and the the scenery is beautiful. There's just not much city there, but it's a lot of scenery, a lot of beautiful 
you know, uh, mountains and rivers and lakes and things. Did he do any work for her business? Did she utilize that face as like an enforcer or anything? Or was he just well, you know, I think he'd retired pa- by that point? He passed away, oh. I think, by this, oh. yes, by this point. She was significantly younger than you would have thought she would have been. So I have found newfound respect for Killer Carl Krupp all those years. But anyway, um, so there was something to be said for pretty much every major market in Canada. I I won't go into Newfoundland and New Brunswick. We just passed through there, but Winnipeg was just pretty fucking bland. Just, just pretty fucking bland. Sort of like that. I, I, it was kind of like an AWA town. It's in the Midwest. It's out there. It exists. (laughs) I wasn't a fan of Winnipeg. All right. This has been, the States and Provinces with Jim Cornette. What? But all, this all came from Hoffa? This all came now we've slandered part of Canada as a result of you trying to take up for New Jersey. You're saying Jimmy Hoffa's in Canada? No. All right. We, we're not going doubling back on that bit. Folks, <laughs> I'm feeling better. I'll feel a lot better shortly because it, uh, the all of the domestic orders to folks in the United States for Cornette's collectibles have been put in the mail now, and many, most of them have been received. The last ones have gone in the mail, and there's about five or six people I got to track down an email because they gave me specious addresses for themselves, um, and almost all the internationals are out. There's about 75 left to go. They will be being shipped over Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We, do, we can do about 25 in an hour or so. And I'm going to be answering everybody's emails in the next few days now that I know what to tell them. And then the merchandise chaos will be over for the year and I will get my much needed rest and peace and quiet over the holidays. Except I must bring up one more time. This is the last time we've got to plug it. Christmas Cameo Chaos. Sunday, December 12th at noon Eastern. For the first time since, what was it, August? I will be putting cameo video messages back on sale hotchkiss featherbottom has assured me that we're going to leave it up until we've sold as many as we can fill next week on our allotted days which is wednesday and thursday in between uh in between our recording schedule you and i brian so i'm going to be talking a lot next week but it's it's uh all for the people so Christmas Cameo Chaos, you can go to cameo.com slash Jim Cornette or just go to the all-new jimcornette.com and click on the Cameo button. It will take you directly to the page. And that's this coming Sunday. So actually, it's just less than 24 hours after the people will hear this. Sunday, December 12th at noon Eastern. Cameos on sale while they last. Brian, are you going you gonna to get one for Danhausen now? No, I've never purchased a cameo. I don't really have a... I'm not really that kind of fan, I guess. What about if you could get a cameo from some noted financial guru like Warren Buffett or J.P. Morgan or somebody down through history? Well, let me just say, if it's J.P. Morgan, it's miraculous. Then I'd like to talk to him because he's been dead a long time. I'd well, like yeah, to well, know what the hell's Boris going Karloff. on. I'd like to get a cameo yes. from Boris Karloff. No, honestly, I mean, a conversation and a cameo are two different things. Would I like to sit down at dinner and talk to Sandy Koufax? Sure. Do I need Sandy Koufax to awkwardly hold his phone while he says, 
Hey, Brian, this is uh, Sandy Koufax. I used to pitch for the Dodgers. May have heard of me. Your friend (laughs) Joe wanted you to have this. Hope you're doing well. Yes, I'm Jewish too. God bless. L'chaim. Goodbye. I'm Sandy Koufax. But see now. There's nothing there that makes that special. You have you have just illustrated my point because the cornet cameos are unlike, as we've mentioned, as people, many people have have testified to or unlike that to where I delve into verbally eviscerating a son of a bitch on a very personal level or in some cases giving what what should be termed as advice <laughs> or a pep talk or whatever. That's right. But it's not just a high, and I'm not holding my own phone. So what if someone had the production value of a Jim Cornette cameo and could give you advice from a, a billionaire investor down through history? You're asking the wrong guy. Benjamin I, I Franklin. I don't really you look to anyone else for advice. Benjamin Franklin. No, I think I could give him advice. He saved as a pity earned. I think I could help him. Not the other way around. You can help Benjamin I'm Franklin. I'm living now. What the hell is he going to tell me about now, Benjamin Franklin? We could give you advice. I've read all the books about him. He hasn't read any of the books about me. You know, you got me there. Yeah. So uh, adios, Ben. No, really. <laughs> Look, I hope everyone enjoys their cameos, but it's not really for me. I'm not really the kind of person no. who sits around wanting to... You know, oh boy, I got this from this per I don't really give a fuck. But now you tur- <laughs> really you also you turned me off to Benjamin Franklin too. <laughs> Why? I didn't I say anything I, bad well, about him. There's nothing I can learn from Benjamin Franklin either. Well, maybe you can. You actually stopped with technology right around the time he died. Hey. So maybe there's things you guys can help each other with. <laughs> I'm thinking, of, you know, all these revolutionary <laughs> ideas he came up with. <laughs> Oh, maybe you guys could find a way to, uh, you know, invent a light bulb together or something. <laughs> Beat Edison to the market. You know, that, well, never mind. All right. Anyway, let's get this out of the way at the top of the program. You might have to take me off YouTube. We haven't been doing that lately in a while. But it calls for it because we're two out of three for the good guys over the past few weeks. And... uh I haven't, for one thing, packing boxes keeps me from watching a lot of the news and, and, and I have to seek out the information on the things I specifically want to know about rather than just monitoring things as they go through the day. And I was going to say, and also I haven't wanted to ruin my mood over the past little while since at least we don't have the danger of the orange menace on an, a, a daily basis anymore. Things are going quite nicely, so there's no reason to get worked up. However, I was going to talk about that little piece of shit written house a couple of weeks ago, getting away with murder, uh, because we lost that one. The sane, normal, rational people, we lost that one. And the story was, well, he, he was being attacked, so he had to kill those people. He was being attacked, all right. He was a 17-year-old kid in a place he had no business being, doing shit he had no business doing while carrying a semi-automatic rifle. So it wasn't like somebody tried to climb in his fucking bedroom window and have their way with him. But anyway, we lost that one. Because America. But... Then we were even because we won Ahmad Arbery 
and the knuckle dragon mouth breathing redneck fucking did you see their pictures my god it was almost like an onion article who's the three people pick three people by their photo that will shoot an unarmed black man here they are bing 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 so justice was served there their story was bullshit on the face of it from the word go but this past week we got the the uh the 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 rubber decision the two out of three the latest school shooter and i know for the listeners around the world yes the latest school shooter because we have them constantly as you know this is the only place in the world that this happens for the reasons we'll get into but the latest school shooter besides the fact that they've locked him up they charged his parents the delinquent parents the trump sucking gun fetish lunatic parents of this piece of shit Within what was it involuntary manslaughter? Because they didn't actually volunteer for it, but they caused it. They enabled it. They enabled it. They didn't do anything to prevent it. And there may be some people at his school that are going. They they found this fifteen-year-old kid in drawing pictures of people that have been shot and killed and bleeding, and. With the the phrase on it, the voices won't stop. <laughs> what the fuck? This is almost like a goddamn movie. And they and he said, "Oh, I was I was working on a video game." What? The kid's parents, his mother, is a real estate agent. Boy, if you have to deal with a real estate agent, Brian, in your immediate future. Be careful of them, apparently. Is mother a real estate agent? You would think someone that could function in normal everyday society and not be a danger to people. They found she wrote a fan letter to Donnie Dipshit thanking him for preserving her gun rights so that she could protect herself. It sounds like the people needed protecting from this family instead of the other way around. They're also the parents, apparently gun nuts, gun fetishists, that bought this kid, a 15-year-old kid, a 9mm automatic handgun. And the teachers found him searching on his i guess they had they let the kids have their phones in school now i remember when you weren't allowed to have an unauthorized magazine but anyway he's searching the internet looking to buy ammunition and he's bragging like any 15 year old dipshit that is, is happy with a gun for a fucking christmas present he was over this is a christmas present from his gun nut parents if you're a 15 year old kid and you don't get a car or possibly a subscription to Playboy or fucking classic comic books or whatever, if you're over the moon because you got a gun, then you've already been radicalized and indoctrinated, but he's showing it to all his friends. He's talking about it. He's looking for ammunition for it. They call him in the principal's office. Apparently, there's good reason to believe he had the thing in his backpack at the time. But they let him go back to class, and his mother texted him, I'm not mad at you, just don't get caught, or learn how not to get caught. 
this was not incredibly far ahead of the time that he goes into the school and shoots some people. And then when they arrest him, they also make it known that they intend to charge the parents because they have been so egregiously delinquent in their parenting responsibilities. And the parents, Brian, go on the lam. These fucking, you know, here's the thing with these fucking Republicans and the gun fetishists. They're always wanting to be heroes. That's why folks around the world that this happens here in the United States and absolutely nowhere else, maybe Cambodia these days. I don't know. Maybe they've got their shit together, but nowhere else but the United States because the United States is full of stupid fucking people that will not address a problem when it stares them in the face. Now, there are a bunch of people that will and would and could or would if they could. As we, you know, for the the same people that elected Donald Trump president also realized what the fuck they had done and corrected it. But the gun thing is because everybody is like this kid is raised grown up, radicalized, indoctrinated about God and guns in this country, and they're inextricably linked because you God-given rights, God-given rights in the Constitution. We've mentioned God didn't sign the Constitution. He didn't have anything to do with it. He wasn't even there. And the God nuts also like the guns and the guns like God, and they're all scared. They're all petrified. Somebody is coming for them, and they have to protect themselves. So that's why they have all these guns. They also have fantasies. Earlier in generations, it was the fantasies of, I'm going to be a revolutionary war hero. And then it was, I'm going to be a civil war hero. And then it was, I'm going to be a World War II hero. And in there somewhere, somebody wanted to march up San Juan Hill. But now the older people want to be the heroes and stop the bad guys with the guns. And they would shit themselves and smother themselves in their own feces if they were actually put in a position. But they fantasize that they will. And the kids, they want to do the video games. They don't care about saving the world for democracy because they figure that's already shot anyway. And they don't care about overthrowing the government because they're not sure who's in charge even now to begin with because they don't give a fuck, but they love the video games. They want to shoot everybody. And because the United States has an antiquated, outdated, ridiculous Second Amendment to their Constitution, which people uh, once again act like is written by God, we know who wrote it. They signed it. Bunch of people that signed it also said, you know, we ought to revisit this every so often as things change. But they think that that's a God-given right. So between trying to please the guys with small dicks, the guys with fantasies of being heroes of some kind, the kids with fantasies of being the hero of a video game, or maybe even the villain, or just the star of the video game, And the people who actually think that an invisible, fictitious, supreme being stopped by the Philadelphia area 250 years ago to stick something in the goddamn Constitution, we're fucked. If Sandy Hook didn't do it, somebody goes into a, a, 
elementary school and just mows down multiple dozens of small children for no reason with a and I'm going to get this wrong because the some of the gun assholes are going to be well it's not an automatic rifle it's a semi-automatic or an assault rifle or AK-47 AR-15 whatever the ammo sexuals are calling their machine guns these days and th then it was brought up and this would not be an inflammatory statement in any other civilized country on earth you know what you shouldn't be allowed to have or possess or own or sell these guns unless you are a member of law enforcement and or military and not even local law enforcement i'm talking about the fbi i'm talking about the swat team i'm talking about counterterrorism I'm not talking about all the local municipal police departments that have a problem with shooting people on purpose anyway. No need to give them automatic weapons. Heavy-duty law enforcement. Heavy-duty military. Otherwise, fuck them. Put them in a landfill. Other countries have done that. It's not even an inflammatory statement here, but people, oh, but what about my rights? I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you are so scared that you have pissed somebody off, that somebody's coming for you and your family because of where you live, who you know, or what you've done, that you need an automatic assault rifle to protect yourself, you ought to quit doing those things and move away from that place and quit associating with those people because you don't need it. So, I will go so far as to say I think, frankly, the logical explanation for this or logical solution for this would be to amend, suspend, correct, or eliminate the Second Amendment, which is an unclear, unnecessary, and outdated bunch of horseshit in today's world to begin with, and is no longer applicable. And honestly, that's why we can't have nice things, folks. And I'll go further than that. I think, to be quite honest, that if anybody... If anybody, if the government was to say, okay, here's the deal. This has gone too far. You people are out of fucking control and you can't police yourselves and we're having a hard time policing you. So we're going to do what we should have done a long time ago. If you feel the need to protect yourself, you can have a gun that fires five or six bullets one at a time. Because if you've pissed off more people than that and they're coming in your bedroom window, you're fucked anyway and there's a police force. Just hope that you're not black. But otherwise, you want a gun in your house, five or six bullets, one at a time, fine, boom. Everything else, you got to hop through hoops to get, if you can get it at all. We need to make the regulations at least as strict as these religious fanatics make abortion restrictions. You got to pass a test. You got to wait. You got to do this. You got to do that. Because after all, if you can legally mandate that it should be as hard as possible for a woman to get a safe, legal medical procedure, then you also ought to be able to legally make it as hard as possible for some idiot to get a hold of a fucking gun. So you ought to be able to have to pass a criminal background check and some type of mental test, and wait a period of time, and then have a license, present your 
weapon like you do your vehicle for inspection every now and then to make sure it's safe and we know where it is and it hasn't been stolen or black marketed. And then you get to have your shit. Otherwise, the vast majority of types of guns that are made today should be illegal for a normal fucking citizen to possess. And if the government says, okay, you get to keep, and don't even get me started about hunting, that's a separate thing, I'll go down another road and it'll confuse the issue. But you don't, nobody needs to fucking hunt if they're within 100 miles of a fucking Kroger. But if the government was to say, okay, you get to keep your simple guns and your muskets and your antique collectibles and all of the regular type of shit and all this modern weaponry, is it now illegal to be in private hands? We're going to pay you the fair market value for them if you turn them in. If you don't, we're coming to get them. And that's the, that's that there right there is the line of demarcation. Because if people are presented with the statistics of how many children and how many people of all kinds are shot and killed and maimed and wounded for no reason because we're out of control and as a society, we are not responsible enough to have this kind of shit. And then the government says, we're going to pay you for them, but we're taking them for everybody's good. So you don't have to worry about it because other people ain't going to have them either. And then they come to get them and the people that fight to keep their guns. If you want a gun bad enough that you are willing to fight the federal government to keep it, you're the motherfucker that needs to be in fucking jail and we need to keep an eye on you. It's not like they're coming to take your fucking dog. Just like wearing a mask, just like wearing a seatbelt, just like a don't drink and drive. All the other social rules that we observe for the good of all society because people are inherently fucking stupid and cannot be trusted to have responsibility. Shit's got out of hand, ain't going to go no more. Here's what we're doing about it. You want to fight us? You're going to fucking jail, motherfuckers. But we'll never do that because Americans are fucking goofy and they think that God wrote the Constitution and they all think they're going to be heroes in some goddamn action adventure movie. So we will take the little, the little triumphs like the child abusing mental cases that raised this kid to be a fucking murderer because of the fixation they had on guns they're going to spend some time in jail, too, and I'm happy about that. What do you think, Brian? About all of that? Yes. Now that we're... Are we back on YouTube yet? I haven't heard... <laughs> we, are, we are back on YouTube, and I have a very sad news update. All right. I think one that you and I would both be sad about, a lot of the listeners. Mike Nesmith has passed away at 78 oh. years old. So not only do you cha completely change the topic from what we were talking about so as not to get any on you, but then you bring me down with the news about Mike Nesmith, the, the, the coolest member of the Monkees. Son of a gun. All right. It's also been announced that next month Mickey Dolans will be on the road as the Monkey. <laughs> God damn it. Is he, he, 
Wait a minute. What? Peter is Peter gone? They were just touring together. No, everyone else. I mean, well, everyone else. Peter's Peter gone. and Davey both passed away. That's right. And Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolans were just, I mean, just on the road, you know, doing songs together as the monkeys. <sighs> well, that's an awkward transition, folks, but there you have that. And by the way, if uh, some people have been writing saying, why don't you get political anymore? And the answer is not because it makes more editing for Brian last. It's that I haven't been able to concentrate, haven't wanted to put work myself up into a bad mood. And also, since the adults are in charge again, I don't wake up in fear of my life every day. However, the asshole's still threatening to run in 2024, so we need to hurry up and start putting some of those people in prison. That is his support staff. If we get rid of Frank Nitty, poor old Al Capone ain't going to last long. But you can hear the unexpurgated versions on the Patreon, Brian. We haven't mentioned that on this program in a while. Well, the Patreon has the older shows, and the newer shows will be added as uh, we keep going, of course. Patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you in the door. You get access to the archive of the experience and the drive through going back to the beginning in 2013. And we have another batch of shows about to go up. And I think we're even going to have a version of you singing Cult of Meat with Extra Cheese without my laughing for those musical artists out there who want to take it and apply it to music they don't have any rights to. See, it's like it's like a, a construction paper on the internet. We're giving you tools you can play with. Uh, but yeah, and because and, a lot of people have said, well, geez, we're hopping around on YouTube. The full shows are there, clips are there, but it's often not easy to do this in chronological order and hear everything in context, and et cetera. And that's where we wouldn't charge anything, but goddamn, it takes us... No, we some, should charge some, more. We should charge more. Well, I, but I'm just, I see you come at it from one direction. I come at it from, I'm apologizing that we charge it all and you're threatening to raise the price. But it, it does take oh, oh, I'm so sorry. things up there. Oh, I'm so sorry I have to have you guys pay for this stuff that's mine. I'm so sorry I want to take care of my family, my little Harley Quinn and my wife and afford gas and milk and all these things. You have nothing to apologize for. And Sprite Zero. Don't forget about that. You can't even find Sprite Zero. They should be apologizing to you. I know. And and, and that'll, that'll come next. But anyway, the Patreon's what I was talking about. It's all in chronological order. All of the, and you don't have to, to, you can listen to all the experiences in order. You can listen to all the drive-throughs in order. Well, not all of them. Again, we're still adding. Well, I'm, I'm, but from number one to what is there, we're still right. at, yes, but already yes. there's hundreds of, are we in thousands of hours now? I would have to go and You'd have this. to go yeah. back and, and, and check on that. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. We're getting into, into hundreds, if not thousands of hours of programming there. And you start, and by the time that, you get through that, we'll have all the rest of it up, and there you go. Get to hear the rise and fall of Alice and so much more on those classic <laughs> episodes. Check them out today. Back when we used to use Alice Cooper, too, speaking of um, All righty. <laughs> well, you gave us the bad news about Michael Nesmith, um, and we had some bad news we wanted to address, not at the top of the program anymore, but before we go any further, um, Black Jack Lanza passed away this past week. Uh, I, at the age of, I, heard, I saw 86 and 87. And if obviously either is, is an advanced age. And, you know, it just, it occurred to me that even Pat Patterson gets a lot of recognition for his contribution because he's acknowledged he was on the creative team and he was the creative guy behind the Royal Rumble. and. 
you know, some of the other guys that have passed have gotten more response from the fans. In this case, Jack Lanza's response was more from people in the business. Did you notice that? Because it's been so long since the he was a public figure for the fans, they don't realize how how at one time what the size of a uh, level of star he was, but also how respected he was, how over he was with the boys in the locker room uh, as an agent, what would now be called a producer in in the WWF for so many years from. Well, from the time that he retired and got off the road uh, through, God, he, he was still up there when I moved back to Louisville in 1999, so he didn't retire until he was in his late 60s. And universally, every one of the boys liked and respected and looked up to and enjoyed being around, at various points, Jack Lanza. I can't remember anybody having a problem with Jack Lanza. He, you know, he's just one of those guys. And still, he was an authority figure, and he didn't let the guys run over him, and they didn't even try, because it's fucking Jack Lanza, right? But I I guess what I'm saying is that you, a lot of the fans didn't go, oh my gosh, like it would have been for anybody else, but the, the, the guys, the boys in the business up to and including Vince, which a lot of times when Vince tweets stuff, you think, well, maybe somebody wrote that for him, or he approved it, or whatever, but I can hear Vince saying the words about Jack Lanza that he said in that tweet. So I think, I think it's something that respond resonated more inside the business just because of the time it's been since, since Jack had been in the ring. What do you think? Yeah. And you know, I think also because of what footage is out there and the careers they had to fans who aren't from the AWA, it's funny, but blackjack Mulligan became famous as the blackjack. Yeah. To a lot of people. And Blackjack Lanza never, I mean, he had the one run with Mulligan as the tag team here, which went awry because Mulligan decided to leave. And he had a major run in the AWA. I mean, he's he's one of the all-time legends of the AWA. But outside of there. St. Louis. And St. Louis. I mean, he got to go with Heenan to St. Louis. which was Well, Heenan got to go with Lanza. That's true. See, a lot of, a lot That's of true. people That's don't true. remember that. It, it wasn't like, oh, Bobby Heenan's managing this guy, so let's bring him too. It was like Jack Lanza is a, a top heel, and he says that he works better with this manager that he uses elsewhere, so let's bring Heenan in. And, and he that, developed the blackjack gimmick. Yes. See, that's – and with, with Mulligan, and, uh, of course, Blackjack Mulligan is Barry Windham's father, as we've – mentioned just for the younger listeners and well blackjack mulligan was the father of barry windham and his brother kendall windham and then what is the relationship bray wyatt is the grandson yes and 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 also mike rotunda became a son-in-law and married into the family so that bloodline there's been several third generation windhams involved in the business but I first saw it. You skipped one place because I first saw the Blackjacks. They were Bobby Heenan's team when I first started watching Indianapolis, Indianapolis wrestling, yeah. and they were working for Bruiser. And to see those guys, because Jack was legitimately, and as he got older, he started stooping over a little bit. But he legitimately, at his in his day, was six four, six five, and two sixty, two sixty five, or seventy. And he was the small one because Mulligan, 
They used to bill him at anywhere a 6'10", 350 or whatever, but he legitimately 6'7", 6'8", it looked like it, and every bit of 320, 325. And so they were fucking huge, and the black glove and the black hat, the black mustache. I mean, you know, Gunsmoke was almost still on television. Gunsmoke was No, it still was. Gunsmoke wasn't canceled till 1975. Bonanza was still on TV. So cowboys were a big fucking deal. And uh, and it was just, it was a great, and, and you could believe that these two guys could beat up Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher, almost, kind of. Nobody, no other regular humans could. But that's, at that point, Jack Lanza had been a top heel in not only in Indiana, but as as we mentioned, all over the Midwest and different places. And he worked with Heenan. And they had that run for, what, 72 through 75 as the Black Jacks. And then Mulligan left because George Scott offered him a spot to be a top single star because Mulligan was was younger than Lanza and came along afterwards and had never really been a top single star. But in the Carolinas, that's where Black Jack Mulligan got over. And because of all the the video and the film and everything that still exists, that's people think Blackjack Mulligan, right? Does Mulligan get the call if Johnny Valentine isn't hurt in the plane crash? Probably not. Not not right at the end. He wouldn't have left. If, if Unless it was the absolute top spot that George Scott was promising him in the Carolinas, he wouldn't have left being a WWF tag team champion to just, you know, go work on the card or somewhere or whatever, it would have to be a spot like that. It happened more often than not. I mean, Victor Rivera did it a few years later. Actually, not even that long later. A year later, Victor Rivera did it and he went to the IWA. Well, it's too different because <laughs> Blackjack Mulligan wasn't going to leave the W. He had been around in and around the business for a while. He was not going to quit be quit while he was a WWF tag team champion. Um, to go, you know, just somewhere and do something. Victor Rivera, besides the fact that he didn't have the upside or people calling for him in different territories that Mulligan did, probably also had something personal going on with the office and or fell for. This is the IWA and we're all going to the same new promotion thing that a lot of guys fall for. I'm just saying still, (laughs) but anyway, nevertheless, um, but Lanza, that's the thing is, is that I guess he, he had runs in Georgia also, uh, as a single and he and Heenan went down there some, because a lot of the AWA guys, you mentioned he was in the AWA for the bulk of the latter half of the seventies. Since they only ran 16, 18 days a month because they didn't do a lot of spot shows, they did the big markets and it was spread out geographically, the guys that wanted to there could book themselves in other territories. That's why Bockwinkle started making so many shots in Houston later on in Memphis because he made good money on nights that Vern wasn't even running shows. But I guess what would he have been... You mentioned the footage that's available also. They had some nice still pictures, but they did a tribute video to Jack, and there was like two or three clips of Black Jack's matches because the that was the era of the horrible-looking potato-shaped job guys, the shitty TV matches, the the 
rubber band ropes. And I'm, I would imagine the glory days, the glory days. And now to a lot of people's, you know, eyes, that shit would, oh boy. But, um, but I guess it was probably what after 80, one, two, would Jack have transitioned out of the ring? Or was it, was oh, it no, maybe it was a little bit after, after that? Because was it after that? Remember, he was still there when Vern started to go to war with Vince because it created, and to me, it didn't work at that point in his life. The way he looked, he looked older. He was covered in hair. He had the mustache and he became a baby face and he started wearing all, all white. white. That's right. Oh, it was, it was not a good choice. <laughs> and then he went to yeah. work for Vince. And because Jack and I, I loved him to death. He was so much. He made the TVs a lot more fun. And the and the time after the production meeting, before he had to do shit, because he loved to talk and tell stories, and he was just a fun guy anyway. And like I said, he'd be an authority figure in all business if he needed to be. But also, you know, he had a million stories. But I'm I'm thinking of him in the all white because he was one of the guys that had the spray on hair the spray can of spray on hair for a bald spot on top because his hair, he had to be still to dyeing it at that point. Cause he's in his mid sixties, you know, 20 years ago when I 25 years ago when I'm dealing with him and it's still just so black lightning bugs are following him around in the daytime, but he had the can of spray on cause it had gotten thin on the top and you could see the, the bald spot. But Jack was the lead agent. He was the head, except Pat Patterson had a different responsibility when he was on the creative team and he would sit down with the main event guys on the pay-per-views and on the big shows, et cetera. That's where you hear Pat being the agent and helping the Hearts and Michaels and thing with their matches. But Jack Lanza was the lead agent that I said now is called a producer that was on the road every night. You know, there was Tony Gurria and there was Dave Hebner and there was George the Animal Steel. And, I, you know, I'm leaving some people out. And but but Jack was always the top agent in the house shows. And he was obviously utilized high up on the pay-per-views as well. You know, some of the matches. But he would not only. Because a lot of the a lot of times in those days on the house shows, they just send an agent for the locker room and an agent for the box office so if dave hebner was checking up jack lanza was the guy that you were dealing with getting your finishes getting a draw any other issues whatever and then he's the one that would call in and do the the agent report they had a special number at titan tower that you would call and it was hooked up to a recording machine with no no time limit like if you leave a voicemail on a recording the uh, answering machine is like after three minutes of beep it's full whatever no this was you could leave however long a message you wanted and that's what the agents did when they would call in after the shows and they do the agent report and they would give the the house and the you know reaction from the building if there was one and any issues and they would run down each match and they would they would say enough about each match so that Vince and everybody in the office would know that they actually watched it. And every once in a while, if they just, if they couldn't or didn't watch it, they would say I was held up in the back doing something else and I didn't see that, but blah, blah, blah. But Jack, I mean, some others were, were perfunctory, but Jack would someday, he wouldn't come out and just bury anybody, but he would, 
every once in a while he would place responsibility where it belonged, but he always had the uplifting, but it'll be another day tomorrow and they're looking better and the kids are learning or some, you know, platitude afterwards or whatever. And poor old Howard Finkel, that's one thing. He would get in at five o'clock in the morning because he's sitting there with his typewriter fucking transcribing whatever agent it was. In this case, it'd be Jack, all these things. And it would be like four or five single spaced typewritten pages of the agent report from a town. And I wish I'd saved all of those. I probably have a few in the drawer here somewhere, but I mean, the amount of paper that we were inundated with was ridiculous. So for people who think I saved everything, um, but yeah, but Jack was, you know, he, he was a great guy. He'd seen everything and met everybody, had great stories, didn't get upset, didn't yell, but put his foot down if he had to and did his job. And, and everybody came to him to ask what, what should I do here? Or what do you think about this? Or blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like, you hear somebody knocking George Steele and other people knocking Tony Gurria and whatever, but you didn't hear anybody burying Jack Lanza. All right. This has been the uplifting story of Black Jack Lanza. Well, I'm sorry. Stay tuned next week for the Rene Goulet story here on the show. Oh, God. And Rene Goulet. 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 Rene Goulet. Goulet. How could I forget <laughs> to mention Rene Goulet? Or Sergeant Jacques Goulet, but I'm sorry, I'm paying tribute to somebody there. Here I've I look know. on my plate. What do you see? The cult of meat with extra okay. cheese. Now you're just completely just going in a different do this place. again. Let me ask you this: How different is the role of the agents from that era? The Tony Garrias, the Black Jack Lanzas, the Rene Goulets. The role of the agent. How different is the agent then from now? Well, God, I don't know the answer to that because I haven't been working with the agents of now, but on the outside of it, I mean, you know, it started, the the agent thing started as just a point person to be responsible for a match, right? Because when I was there, I agented matches. That didn't mean I told them every goddamn move to make. The agent in those days would if if it was a house show like i said one of the agents would have all the finishes and they were they were not complicated finishes because even in the 90s they weren't working returns in the WWF anymore in the house show so it it would just be so and so over so and so so and so over so and so if there was any you know special instructions from the office they would give it and if there was any disagreement amongst the talent on whether something ought to be done or not, the agent would be the one to say, yeah, yeah, or nay. And, and when I agented, um, those matches, we would have the, especially on pay-per-view, you would have a specific finish usually that had been thought of beforehand as a way, cause it's a pay-per-view. So it's going to be leading to something else, whatever. And you'd sit them down. You'd say, you got X amount of minutes and, we need so-and-so over, and here's the finish that we're thinking about. And also, if there was any other pieces of business going on or something that needed to be done in the middle of the match, or there was a, a prop, I hate to use the word prop, but a prop or something or other, you'd let them, here's what's going on, bloom, 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 and then you'd let them talk about it, and you would come back later on, and they'd tell you, well, here, we want to change this. What do you think? Or 
we put it together this way and they, and you'd hear it and you'd either say, okay, or, uh, whatever. But that way, when you went back to the truck for the pay-per-view, not only were you responsible for that match, in other words, if somebody bent somebody over in the ring and gave them a Venusian rim job and it wasn't called for, uh, then they're, they're all looking at you sideways because it's your, your match. You're responsible for it. If they go overtime, you're responsible for it. If they, you know, fuck up in some kind of way, you're responsible for it as well as the talent. Now, I guess every match, it's an integral. It's like, you know, they sit down with guys and specifically walk through the match or the promo or how they have to know everything except with certain people. And so no wonder there's a, a producer for every match now, because fuck, I don't know how the guys in the match memorize all these things they're supposed to be doing. It was basically just someone to be responsible for the, for the match in the TV truck and to be able to tell the director if there was anything coming up, any kind of spectacular move that he was probably going to miss because it's going to come out of nowhere unless you're looking for it. That's what a producer's role originally was. Give the finish, settle issues, and let the director know what he's shooting. And now they're, you know, I guess they're an integral part of the whole fucking nine yards. Anyway, um, I guess we also, we just talked about this on the drive-thru. I know it was the drive-thru just a few days ago, but now there's an update. Jeff Hardy has not been just sent home off the road from the WWE, but he's been released from the WWE. And... God, you know, that's just, it's unnecessary and it's needless and you hate to see it. And I hope that Jeff is okay. Is You know, of the two brothers, I'm least mad at him because the other one's over there doing the screwy stuff. Uh, but it, at the same time, I don't know how, I don't know how and why that it happens. Like, I know why that the company did it, but I'm just thinking, how can, if you know, the spotlights on you, you know, you've got the track record of doing this. And so they're going to be looking at you. How can you not just get back to the hotel first or whatever the case? I just, I wish that we didn't have to even talk about this, but I think a lot of people were up in arms that they would, Oh, they let him go after all he's done for the Honestly, what else are they going to do? They had no choice. And it's not even the the uh the publicly traded line. Well, we're a publicly traded company. Even if they weren't for his own good, you can't if a guy is is, is wrestling in a match without all of his faculties and He's not only putting himself at risk, but he's putting his opponents at risk. And you might want to switch that priorities, put his opponents at risk and himself too. It's not his opponent's fault. Maybe they don't even know it. And I know, and this this was true, somewhat of a rib. Tommy Rich, I think, used to have a better match at one point in the 90s when he was drunk than when he was sober. But he may have been an anomaly. Um, 
but from a a corporate and a company standpoint, it's not like this has been the first time or even the I don't know how many strikes did he have in this company? Because there was the TNA issue, and there's been a few others. But was he was released in what was it 2017 for his DUIs? Was it not? I don't remember. I think the first time was in 2003. Well, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I haven't even gone back that far yet. But the point is, they couldn't do anything else from a liability standpoint. From a public relations standpoint, what would happen even if he didn't do something in the ring? Now that they're back on the road somewhat, he's in a hotel room somewhere. That doesn't end well. Front page news. Um, in the ring, hurts himself. Somebody else gets hurt. Some incident happens. Well, the company would be liable because they knew that he had a history of doing these things and this had just happened and they were aware of it. They couldn't hide it. Um, you've got to be able to trust guys when you put them out on the road. I know with the wrestling business and the stories that we've told that that seems like craziness, but you have to have, and especially that company with that high profile of a, you know, situation, you have to have some level of confidence in the guys you're putting on the road that they're not going to cause an issue that's going to come back on everybody. And especially when it's happened a number of times, they've gotten tighter and tighter with that. And so, you know, and, and they, I guess, according to the story that's out there, they offered him rehab instead of being released. And he said no to the rehab. So, they had to release him. I mean, that can get either. Was this for whatever reason, an excusable anomaly in his life that there's some innocent reason for this. And that's why he was indignant about it being asked to go to rehab. Or was that the re reception or the response that everybody that's asked to go to rehab has when they're asked to go to rehab? I, I don't know. I've never been in a position. But, you know, we mentioned that he looks, it looks like that the stuff that he does when he does it these days is busting him up. He does not look like a proud, healthy, energetic guy when he's working in the fucking ring anymore. So maybe it's best that he does at least go home and not take bumps, not be on the road, be around his family, not be either tempted to do things or just stove up and beat up and hurt to where I, you know, to where he might feel like he has to do something. I don't know what else WWE could have done at this point though. Do you No, And while I don't think rehab is always the answer for everybody, you know, everyone kind of has to figure out their own way to get clean and rehab is not the answer for everybody. For certain people, it's the right thing. But WWE, in the position they're in, have to say, you have to go to rehab. He just stormed off into the crowd of people, families, kids. Nothing happened. No one got hurt. But just think about what the liability is and what's going to happen next time. And what if he's found in a hotel room? I hate to look at it that way, but it's one thing after another. WWE, like any company, has to look after their guy, but also look after themselves as a company. 
That's probably why it was an offer of rehab, but more of an insistence of rehab. And we don't know what his reasoning is for not going, but I could understand why that would be a point for them where they had to release him based on everything else. Now, here's the question. Um, <laughs> obviously, everybody's thinking, oh, well, now we'll get the Hardy Boys reunited. Seriously, do you think... I know that everybody is, you know, wanting that to happen. And I'm not saying it'd be a bad thing, but right now it would be ridiculous. Even Tony Khan has to realize that, yes, short term, it would be, oh, it would be a huge pop. But if you don't address the problem that he just had before, is he going to have it in another place? Is it just because it would be a lower pressure environment? Sometimes a lower pressure environment brings out bad habits instead of hindering them. Or would it be a low pressure environment that he would be happier in and therefore these things wouldn't happen? But the point is, you got to think twice because now you're taking a chance if immediately, whenever it was possible for him to, he was to hop over to AEW. And any of the things that we just mentioned happened there, then they would look like complete fucking idiots. And the thing is, guys that would have this problem in the past, they've gone back after some period of reflection or rehabilitation or just trying to get their shit together in whatever manner, they start back with independence or a small promotion or whatever. Because those promotions the benefit outweighs the risk. If something happens, even, you know, 10 years ago with Ring of Honor, if something happened with such and such guy that came in, well, all the publicity, if it was a star, would have been on the individual and not necessarily on Ring of Honor because that ain't no, it wasn't a story. It wasn't a major mainstream promotion that everybody in the world would know, like WWE, and now, honestly, at least in this country, like AEW, it wouldn't be such and such wrestler has incident of whatever type while wrestling at an independent event in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It would be while wrestling on the Turner Network television wrestling program. So. Yes, I'm sure the AEW fans would love to see Jeff Hardy there and they'd pop for him and, and especially short term, it would be a boost. But there's potential liabilities as well. There's cons as well as the pros. And one of them is, should Jeff take the time to do whatever he needs to do for this not to happen again before he worries about where else he's going to wrestle? Because I, I've refused to believe that either one of these young men are hurting for money at this point with their employment history and, you know, the fact that they don't, they don't live in Los Angeles. They live in Cameron, North Carolina, and they've got one beautiful looking places, which you can get in Cameron, North Carolina without having to be a multi-million dollar movie star. But I don't think he needs to work right now. That's just my assumption of things well also you know aew has to be careful you don't want to establish yourself as a place that just accepts anyone 
even if they're a big star who leaves WWE for those reasons. Because that's a slippery slope, too. Because there are, you know, Jeff Hardy's not the only guy there who may overindulge. And you well, gotta, you yeah. gotta be careful with that, too. And re- let's remember it was the Turner network television system that basically effectively retired Tully Blanchard yeah. in the prime of his career because they would not take him coming from the WWF in 1989 when he had flunked, just flunked a drug test, wasn't impaired at work, didn't hurt anybody or cause an incident, flunked a drug test. They reneged their contract offer and didn't hire him, and he never wrestled major league full-time again. And that's the same company that would now be expected to feature Jeff Hardy or anybody else in this position on their national cable television program. So I I know it's different people working there, but same situation. So Tony Khan's certainly going to be hearing from people in his company saying you should bring in Jeff. We could do something with Jeff. We could do the Hardy Boys. We could do Hardy Boys Young. I mean, there's so many different things, and there's going to be different people pitching it, and maybe the time will be right in the future, but I think he's got a... I mean, we're assuming he legitimately has an issue, because why else would all this be happening? He's got to get himself healthy first. And rehab may or may not be the answer, but he's got to... He's got to take care of himself, and then you could worry about bringing him... Because, you know, you can't just bring a Jeff Hardy into a company. He's a big star. You got to be careful with this. Yeah, you can't just bring him in and hide him or let, well, let's see how he does. It's got to be it's got to be all or nothing. Um but it, and and Tony, I'll give you some advice. I know a bunch of people, and this is about anybody, not just Jeff. This is a bunch of people who mean well will always tell you, "Oh, Tony, things will be different if just such and such and such and such." Just remember, Tony, nobody Nobody in the world, no human being on the planet is immune from disappointing you and letting you down. You're going to find that out as you become older and wiser. But you know what you do when you're old and wise, Brian Last? I know. What do you do? You get up in the morning and you have a good quality, healthy breakfast to start off the day. That sounds about right. And that's why we are praising to the heavens our friends at Magic Spoon. And folks, I've of course, I mentioned this, I think, uh, a show or two ago, and Brian corrected me. You don't have to crush this stuff up and snort it. No, you do not. No, you we suggest do you do not do that. We suggest no. you put it in a bowl and you put it in a bowl, use a spoon or perhaps it. nibble on it throughout the day. We just want to clarify teeth. that. But this stuff will make you feel great all day because it's not trashy garbage food. It's not sugar and carbs and junk. No, no. Oh, no, it is not. You don't have to drink those protein shakes and and all that protein powder that you have to mix up and it's like sludge and concrete dust. No, no, you don't. You eat the magic spoon and it's like the cereal that you loved when you were a kid. But at the same time, it gives you the healthy ingredients you need now that you're an adult on the verge of death. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs, carbs, or carbs, carbs in each serving. There's only 140 calories a serving, so what the fuck? Go crazy, have two servings. What's that, 280 calories? 
You can sweat that off taking a shit. And you will shit well, my friends, because this stuff is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. There's nothing in there to stop up your plumbing. Your septic tank will be running right as rain. Folks, they've got all the flavors that you love, and you can build your own custom bundle at magicspoon.com slash gym. Whether it be the cocoa, the fruity, the frosted, the peanut butter, the blueberry, the cinnamon, the cookies and cream, or the maple waffle, mmm, that's good stuff. And when you go to magicspoon.com slash gym and get your custom bundle and try it today, if not tomorrow, if you're busy today, we'll accept tomorrow, use the promo code GYM at checkout and save $5 off your order. They've got the 100% happiness guarantee. So if you eat a bowl of this and you're not 100% happy for the rest of your life, they'll give you your money back. Or that's just with the cereal. You, you can still be miserable about something else, but they make you happy with the cereal. That's the 100% happiness guarantee, folks. Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal. That's right. It's like you've committed any number of crimes and you don't care. You're guilt-free. When you eat this stuff, magicspoon.com slash gym. Use the code gym to save $5 off at checkout. Guilt-free. Just go out, kick an old lady, key somebody's car. No, we stop it. Knock over the bank and then eat a bowl of this cereal. You will have no guilt. Don't do any of those things except eat this delicious cereal, which is guilt-free and delicious. But I thought if you eat this cereal, it'll get rid of all your guilt. No. No? No. But it's, you won't feel guilty about eating the cereal. That's but correct. But if you've done something to feel guilty about, then, then you, you still... Then you so, should go to prison. So do not commit crimes and then eat this cereal, folks. Eat the cereal and then commit the crime. Although criminals are welcome to buy Magic Spoon as well and eat it and enjoy the nutritious benefits. But only if they're allowed to have it in whatever prison that they're in. Well, I'm saying criminals in or outside. So you're talking about un unprosecuted criminals that have just committed crimes with impunity and have not been punished. I'm saying criminals you're far trying and to wide. Sell, you're trying to sell our sponsor's cereal to madmen running around to muck out on the streets that have not been brought to justice for their crimes? Magicspoon.com slash Jim? Well, maybe it's not mad men on the streets. Maybe it's, you know, a guy in a suit on Wall Street. I mean, you don't know. There's all sorts of different criminals out there. But try this cereal, whether you're a criminal or not. You know, I have it on good authority that the, the gangsters that planted Jimmy Hoffa underneath the Meadowlands ate Magic Spoon for breakfast. Did you know that? We do not know that. And I'm pretty sure that, in fact, is not a fact because we do not know who killed Jimmy Hoffa. So, no. Well, we're back to there. But we deal in alternate facts here. But Magic Spoon is good in reality right here in the real world for all of you listening right now. Magicspoon.com slash Jim. Save $5. Well, Brian, I went ahead and searched through this past week's NXT program to, for, to see if we got a Steiner sighting. Our boy Rex Steiner. I wanted to see a Steiner, and he was on there. And, and don't worry, this won't take long. But a couple of random thoughts about NXT, now that they have completely eviscerated the entire program, 
Now, remember Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner were uh, bosom buddies leading into the war games, right? I think you said yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Well, now Von Wagner switched heel on Kyle O'Reilly at the war games. So two days later, <laughs> they had a cage match on free TV. And uh, basically, to just pulverize poor Kyle O'Reilly, because apparently he's done, he's bailing. And so Von Wagner beat him in the match and then slammed the cage door on his head about four or five times and left him laying. So thank you for coming, Kyle. We know where he's headed. Uh, if he's, unless he's just decided to go live on a desert island. Um, but yeah, might as well get that cage match out of this hot angle two days later on free TV and then sayonara to Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, but Rex Steiner did a promo, and apparently he's not done with Mr. Champa yet, Brian, because they're one and one. Champa beat him in the previous singles match they had, but he beat Champa in the war games, and he still wants the NXT title. And I'm going to tell you, he... This guy coming out, I can't believe he's had, what, seven matches in front of people. I can't believe he's not done any more promos than he's done. He's way beyond his experience level. He sounded like he means this shit. He's got that Steiner... Uh, what What is it in his... The Steiner squeal in his voice, that little tone that he gets that makes you know that he's a Steiner, whether Rick or Scott. He sounds just like him. So the first part of this was fantastic. And then guess who came out to interrupt when he said he wanted Champa again for the NXT title? I don't know. Malcolm Bivens and the Diamond Mine. That was going to be my next guess. Without Roderick Strong. Bivens comes out with his stooges, the, the brothers and the girl. And this killed it. Because while you were... While you were watching Steiner talk, you were forgetting that this is the the sea show and everybody's green as grass, right? Because here's this big, good-looking, jacked-up, kick-ass fucking guy in there. And it would have worked if Randy Orton had walked out on him, if Roman Reigns had walked out on him, if a star had walked out to the ring on him. It would have looked just fine, right? Not out of place. But here comes, and he's promo, and next week, Roderick Strong's going to be back. And there's going to be a 6-inch and 70-pound weight difference. That's my material, not Malcolm's. Roddy's going to make him look like $5 million, which is what the the idea is, because Roddy's probably the best worker all around they got left. But now that the cruiserweight champion, Roderick Strong, is going to face the guy for a no apparent reason otherwise than he's the real face of NXT. He's just not being featured as it for a, <laughs> a, a number of weeks now. So next week, apparently, we're going to see Rex Steiner against Roderick Strong, which will be a great match uh, and a showcase for Rex Steiner, but we see what Roddy's future holds. So... We'll get to it when we talk about AEW in a minute, but that may be the only thing that can save Adam Cole from wrestling purgatory 
is to get the Undisputed Era back together real quick. And, and obviously, Kyle is now a free agent. And more to come on the program. What do you, what is that? Um, what do you think? Roderick Strong versus Rex Steiner. What is Roddy's chances for, unless he signed a long term contract for a continued push at least? It's kind of a WWE knows that there are certain guys who are going to go there. And I think they just accept it. And they're looking at other kind of people right now. So it's like, you know, he can't wait to go there. I'm not saying him. I, I shouldn't say, I don't know anything about Roderick Stone, but guys. Can't wait to go to AEW. There are guys at AEW and their fans can't wait to have. And WWE, whether right or wrong, think, okay, goodbye. We're going to go get some college athlete that, <laughs> that knows nothing about wrestling. Go have fun doing your wrestling matches over there. Uh, well, speaking of having fun, remember I said last week I was searching for Steiner and I saw two goofs in a car in the dark looking for a shaman? <laughs> I, I swear to God, yes. it, was, it was two goofs in a car, but it was dark, so you couldn't see that they weren't really riding in a car anywhere. And then they, they're looking for a shaman, and they come and they open a door, and there's a bright light, and it's to be continued. Well, we found out. And for the two goofs in the car were the MSK guys. I should have known right off the bat. Acting goofy with really bad haircuts. And guess who the shaman that they were looking for turned out to be? I have no idea. Matt Riddle. Because apparently the two goof MSK guys are also supposed to be stoners. And Riddle, who's a complete blithering idiot and a, a poster boy for the anti-legalization of marijuana, if ever I've seen one. if. If if marijuana, the the devil's lettuce, makes you act like either of the three of these people, then it should be outlawed immediately and its sale or marketing should be punishable by death. For the record, it doesn't make you act like those people. There are other people I who know I'm being consume facetious. it and are fine. I'm being facetious. You have to have something wrong with your chemistry anyway before the addition of the leafy green would make, but all three of these morons act like they're stand-ins on one of those goofy so-and-so goes to White Castle movies from 15 years ago. And that's when the whole thing was Riddle sat down with them and in a fucking yoga pose and as what's on your brains, brothers. So anyway, that was that. Do you remember what Raquel Gonzalez looked like? Yes, I think she was actually the champion the last time I watched. She don't look like that anymore. Oh. I thought they got a whole new girl. I didn't recognize her. They've changed her hair, style, and color, her clothes, her makeup, her attitude. She was the foreboding, larger, standing there, kick-ass type of girl, and now she's kind of just happy and, and fluffy and soft. And then finally, the other thing that I was waiting for, because they let it be known, obviously, the two people that we were, the contract watch that we were on, is uh, not only Kyle O'Reilly, but also good old Johnny Sameface. Where in the world? We got rid of Mrs. Sameface. She's at home multiplying. But now is Mr. Sameface, Johnny Wrestling, as they call him there, the friends and family crowd, 
Is he going to, he was going to make a big announcement about his future. And I've got to be, this is another example of like getting a little, little bit pregnant. If they were going to do this segment, they should have done it, but they didn't do it. He didn't come out there and say, I'm at a crossroads on my career. Am I going to stay? Am I going to go related to the contract, which is what everybody was wanting to know about. He gives a speech on his future. Basically, he's going to be a new dad. And he starts, he comes out, he's, He's got his Mo Howard haircut. He's dressed in street clothes that made it look like his mother forgot to pick him up after school and he had to walk home. And he does the most humble babyface promo. And actually, this was probably his best verbal performance because normally he's always acting like a wrestler and sometimes acting like a bad guy wrestler. And remember when he put the shark fin on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here he was being himself. And it was genuine, and it sounded like he meant it. The problem was who he really is. This was the most humble babyface promo. I really hope I gave you guys wrestling you could be proud of. He talked about how lucky he was to be there, how he was, never thought he'd be at NXT, and William Regal helped him, and blah, blah, blah. It, that he's still the shy, chubby eight-year-old fan with self-doubt and insecurity. This is the only time I've ever believed in, in anything that he said, and he was talking about being an uninteresting nerd with no confidence or self-respect or whatever. Just another fucking guy that's just so happy to have been there. So he's given the goodbye speech. It's obviously a farewell speech, but since it was never mentioned on any of their programming or the official WWE accounts, YouTube, whatever, social media, it's never been announced that he was deciding whether or not he was staying with NXT about his contract. So for people who go and study on the internet, which I guess now is the last people left watching this fucking program, they knew what he was talking about, but if you just like a normal viewer... You're like, well, what he's he's gonna quit wrestling and go home and have a kid. And he's also, did I mention, an insecure, unsure of himself little nerd that's been happy to be there and is almost ready to break into tears. We've lost a higher standard for our stars, haven't we? Everyone now does their Hall of Fame speech in the middle of their career. Yes, or in this case, this may be toward the ends of his career. We're not sure yet. But anyway, and then he started talking about the imminent baby he was going to have. And there's a close-up on him in the ring, and the people start reacting like, hey, watch out, hey, watch out, but he's still talking. And then I realize it's because the guy that's coming up behind him was coming up behind him. They were trying to warn him, but he didn't listen. And he got smacked with a chair. And, oh, it's Grayson Waller. Another guy that looks like he just fucking walked out of a fucking ice cream store with his younger brother. He looks like he's 16. And this guy beat him up and power bombed Mr. Sameface through the announce desk and left him laying. So he's he he better be done. I you know 
I don't know what to say. What do you think of WWE's way of dealing with these guys going to AEW or just leaving the company, the way they're writing these guys off? We've seen now several of them. Well, again, I mean, to me, it's more impactful and more suited to your purpose when you're finishing a guy up to just beat him once or twice in a high-profile match with a guy you're wanting to push for the future. What they did here was give him all this time to say goodbye without actually saying goodbye to people that only part of them knew what the fuck he was doing to begin with. And then they involved him in what looks like every other wrestling angle in the world to where now I'm going to be, if I'm a fan and a, and I know some people for the people who like that kind of thing, it's the kind of thing those people like some people like Johnny Gargano. So now they're going to be looking for him to come back and get even because this is an angle to lead to something. So they, instead of just beating him in a match or two and he does the job and everybody moves on and just don't talk about him anymore. Now with both O'Reilly and Gargano, you've done high profile angles where people are going to continue to think about them and expect them to come back and get some kind of revenge. One guy got his head slammed in the door multiple times. The other guy got power power bombed through the fucking desk or whatever. That's that's leaving people with a different feeling than just all of a sudden this guy lost a couple of big matches and now nobody's mentioning him anymore. So if if they still thought there was a chance that either one of these guys would come back, then they left it open ended on purpose. If they don't think they're coming back, then they just left it open-ended by accident. That's what I think. You see what I mean? I do. And who who gets who gets more reaction? A guy who's just been over in the past and gets a shit kicked out of him in some blatant way on television by a heel that they're pushing, or just hey, he got beaten that match. Comes back a couple weeks later, gets beaten that one, and we're just not talking about him much anymore. Then the focus is on the new talent and not the old talent. Now they're still going to be waiting for the old talent to come back. All right. Well, I'm not waiting for any NXT to come back. I don't need to watch that crap. No, that's, I'll tell you what, nobody is waiting for NXT anymore, but I'll tell you what I did discover. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a problem with insomnia, do not, do not torture yourself by trying to cure it by listening to or watching. Sometimes I listen to NXT with my eyes closed. I just listen. Other times I watch it and it it cures my insomnia, but it gives me a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach before it does. You don't need that. Don't worry about NXT as a cure for insomnia. Get a Helix sleep mattress. You will sleep better that you will sleep the sleep of the dead. They will have to chant incantations over you the next morning to get you up off this mattress possibly even burn some tana leaves and invoke the spirit of tutankhamun and prince karis all those type of things if you're on the helix mattress you're floating in a cloud all you got to do folks is go to helixsleep.com and you take a quiz It takes about two minutes. They ask you a few questions about your body type, sleep preferences, and they match you to the perfect mattress that they make 
for your style, so to speak. They've got soft, medium, and firm. They've got cool-down mattresses if you sleep hot. They've got mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent those morning aches and pains. As a matter of fact, my spine has never felt better. I used to be spineless before the Helix Sleep Mattress. Anyway, you take the quiz, you get matched up with the mattress, you order the thing, and it's delivered to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Lay on some of those mattresses. You got who knows who testing them out. This is perfect. They bring it right to your door. You unbox it, and it just flies into life. Well, it doesn't fly. It 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 inflates. <laughs> of all the well, things no, yeah, for you to doesn't... correct, that's what you want to make a correction about. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't fly into shape. It's not going to knock over anything or injure you in any way. It's going to kind of slowly and gently puff up into shape, and then it's amazing. It's an amazing procedure to watch. They got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Not only you, but anybody you want to bring on it. Conduct yourself in any way that you like to conduct yourself on a mattress and try this thing out. And if you don't like it after 100 nights, well, if you ain't been getting laid, it's not their fault. It's your fault. But if you haven't been sleeping good, it's their fault, and they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it. But right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows just for our listeners in the cult of Cornet at helixsleep.com slash JCE. I'm telling 12,000 five-star reviews, 1 billion hours slept on Helix mattresses. And boy, that guy never felt better in his life after he slept that billion hours. Folks, even if you're fighting about with your wife about what you need to lay on or who gets laid on, your mattress doesn't need to be one of the things you fight about. Take the sleep quiz with your partner and Helix will match you to a mattress that works for both of your needs. And then you can work out the sex later. But anyway, helixsleep.com slash JCE, up to $200 off mattress orders and two free pillows. You can't top it. All right, and I guess before we talk about our favorite promotion that has drastically let me down this week, uh, we should find out from you what you're doing on your programs at the Arcadian Vanguard Network this week that never let us down. That's right. We never let you down, producing great quality content each and every week. And if you don't like it, we'll kick your fucking ass yeah. on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. I have successfully gone from 10 to 3. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Want to make mention this week on Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam, his very special guest, Lou Kippelman. Kippelman! Talking about the career of Ivan Koloff. Check that out today at McAdamPod.com or search for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam, and in this case, Lou Kippelman. Kippelman! Wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also want to make mention of the latest episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry. Up right now with BaldrinPod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. The Boys Review, the famous hair match, Austin Idol versus Jerry Lawler, 1987, in the cage. Hear that today, plus dog stories at BaldrinPod.com, <laughs> available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, 
the mothership. New episode in production. Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. All episodes are available at 605pod.com. Also, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And I want to thank everyone because I've received a bunch of people recently who have just discovered the show going through the archives. Thank you for checking out The Mothership. A lot more to come. The Mothership! Hey! Hey, fuck you! Hey! Hey! Boo on me! So's your old man. Your mother. Boo on me, Larry. All right. Oh, boy. Um, so this past week, AEW was in Long Island, New York. And this was December the 8th, folks, the Wednesday night that we get to stay up late. And again, this started off like a classic wrestling program from the days when people used to watch this stuff. And after the first 30 minutes, I'm thinking, they're going to do it again. Long Island, New York City, they're bringing out the big guns. Oh, God. That rest of that show fell in a toilet faster than a turd out of a guy's ass when he's just drunk a gallon of castor oil. Straight down. But we started off hot. We started off, we're in Long Island. We got sock face on... Play-by-play, we got twin color guys, Tony Schiavone and Taz. I don't mean they're twins. I mean, there's two color guys. Taz is a Long Island guy. Taz is a Long Island guy. Got a lot of hometown flavor here tonight. Here comes MJF's music, and the people are up because it's the hometown boy. And in out walks CM Punk. Like Punk is healing on Long Island Sound. No, Long Island Sound. There's no one near Long Island Sound. And they drowned. (laughs) (laughs) So punk is a he. It's it's Bret Hart and in in the United States or Canada all over again. It's it's the dueling hometowns. Is it Tennessee versus Texas? No, it's Chicago versus Long Island. The rivalry that we didn't know we needed until right now. And punk comes out in this environment in this atmosphere to a cacophony of booze because he's been fucking with the hometown boy there were some punk chants yes obviously but he gets in the ring and you can tell he's having a ball because this is perfect for what he does all of punk's promos are so based in reality, so peppered with genuine comments, so conversational and then declarative. Um, it's natural, and he didn't have to change his attitude or his personality or even his material. Because when somebody is a smart ass to him, he has no problem being a smart ass back. Maybe it was one of the things I like about him. So you expect him when he's getting booed, the whole bit of the promo, oh, so this is your boy. This is the guy you're going to support, the guy that did this to me and that to me and the other. Okay, if that's if that's the guy, okay. That's on you, not me. It was brilliant. And I mean, the little things. He said, oh, Chicago was so much louder. And he just ripped the Islanders to shreds. I've 
you're closer than I am, and I don't follow the hockey, Brian, but they pretty much, I guess, have to suck from what he was alluding to, don't they? They were once the very best. They were once the pride of Long Island. There was once a drive for five, and they have been pretty much garbage ever since. And now just four on the floor. But hey, now we got a building that won't be going away, so I think uh, the Islanders... I say we, like I'm part of the team. I think the Islanders have a bright future for the first time in a very long time. Well, but not after this promo they didn't, because now everybody thinks they fucking suck. Um, He took off his jacket, and he's got the four pillars of AEW shirt, but MJF is replaced with Britt Baker. And uh, again, you know, MJF, uh, he, he drew the comparison to Dennis Rodman when he finally started playing for Chicago. He said, MJF is your worm. It, this worked, this worked and nobody had to do anything out of character or say anything that it didn't sound like they would say in real life. And that's why it was brilliant. And when he said he's got his eyes on next week's page and Brian Danielson title match, of course, cause he's CM Punk. He's a big star. He should be looking to see who's going to win the world title match, but then he segues right there to, but MJF and I've got something going on and we need to get that settled first. Let's prioritize your involvement. And then, you know, I mean, the he's his dog, Larry, he said, Larry has more balls than MJF and he's neutered. Don't run like folks in Long Island, MJF, stand and fight like they do in Chicago. And finally, he finishes up with now that he's worked himself up, and I can identify with this too, after he's talked about all the things MJF has done to him and done in general, the spineless, weak-willed chicken shit that he is. Then finally, Punk works himself up and says, okay, this is your guy. Well, if that's who you back, then you're all chicken shit. It leaves the ring. Brilliant. Br- I There has not been a segment of wrestling television on anything the WWE has produced that has been as good as the punk segments and a few of these others that we have praised to the heavens because it looks like it belongs on a wrestling show and somebody didn't script it and lay it out and fucking it me and somebody means something that's what they need that's why the wwe's boring and losing all their viewers because they're they're so contrived and choreographed and manipulated and orchestrated and overproduced and overwritten and lacking any kind of passion and legitimacy and then guy comes out with a microphone like this and blows them all away they ought to be ashamed of themselves, I say. That's what they ought to be. What do you think of this segment? Really good. I think maybe a tad too long, if I had to make any criticism at all. Well, uh, if it had been maybe the last couple of weeks' shows, I might agree with you. But on this show, I could have taken another hour and 40 minutes. Go ahead. I didn't know what was coming next. That's a good fair. point. It was an interesting dynamic, and it was what I expected. Of course, CM Punk's the biggest star in AEW by far, but I would argue maybe even the whole business, the whole building's not going to boo him. He's a babyface just by being himself. Right. But he took it and he ran with it. And, you know, someone like Cody should look at someone like CM Punk and how he handled this. <laughs> and realize, 
There's a way to get these things done. And you look at the look in his face. He had everything under control. This is really good. And I think the thing I like the most is they're keeping these two away from each other. They're promoing even at each other. But each week there's another escalation of this feud and nothing has gotten. It's not like week one promo, week two promo, week three car accident, week four (laughs) he's back. Like, there's not that. It's been laid out fairly coherently. And like you said, the Punk segments have been the best. Punk and Kingston was fantastic. The Punk and MJF stuff has been really good. Punk and Darby was good. This is not one of the parts of the show that's a problem at all. Well, and and we're we're getting to those, but we still had some good stuff, kind of. I'll ask you what you think in a second first, or what you thought. But MJF came out, it didn't come out, it, it, they played a video where MJF arrived in a sports car, a fancy sports car of some description, uh, obviously expensive, with an NFL-style voiceover guy putting him over. And he's on... At first, he's he's he gets out of the car. He puts his high school football jacket on. Where was it? Plainfield, Plainview, Plainview. Maybe Haddonfield. Should be, he should be from Haddonfield High? Then they could bring Michael Myers into a cross promotion. Anyway, so he's on the high school football field wearing his football jacket. The NFL voiceover guy is listing all of his accolades. If he was Lex Luger, they'd be allocades. And it was hilarious and seriously good at the same time. This wasn't, it was, it was obviously meant to be funny and entertaining, but it was slanted toward how the heel would truly present himself. And the comedy came in the fact that this guy is such an insufferable egomaniac and not because he's jerking everybody's chain trying to get everybody to laugh at him. It was a good personality piece. And then in the arena, they play his music and he makes his entrance. If you noticed, every wise-ass white guy between 16 and 30 in the building just loved him to fucking death. So we, we, we've we established MJF's core audience is a bunch of fucking guys from New York like him that, that like wise-asses. I can see that. But here's the problem. He was coming to the ring to compete in another one of these goddamn diamond battle royals. And besides the fact that there are too many battle royals in this company and too many battle royals probably in wrestling in general these days, MJF's the only one that got an entrance. And then they started the match. Everybody just jumped in. Did I miss it, or did the announcers ever even run over everybody's name? Because I was trying to write names down as I was looking said who's that who's that i don't think they did so 12 guys mjf gets in the ring 11 other guys jump in and from my accounting it was jay lethal powerhouse hobbs ricky starks lee moriarty matt hardy talk about a spare prick at the wedding that was completely out of place Dante Martin, Leo Rush, Wardlow, and Kazarian. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I missed two. Spears was on the floor, but he wasn't in the match, right? He wasn't in the match. Um, But anyway, nevertheless, it's a fucking battle royal. It was a showcase for MJF, but here's where they made the mistake. They put Jay Lethal in this thing. Come on. Seriously. 
he just debuted, lost his debut match. Now you stick him in a battle royal, and the way that Lethal got eliminated was Matt Hardy got brass knucks from one of his stooges, hit Jay Lethal with the brass knucks, and then just grabbed him and dumped him over the rope like a sack of shit. Should have been the other way around. Jay Lethal should have eliminated somebody like Matt Hardy to at least show that he's capable of doing something better yet. He shouldn't have been in this. Hobbs and Wardlow gave each other some tackles, and then suddenly Leo Rush came from behind Hobbs and drop kicked or whatever. And or, no, he had gone over the top, but he was on the apron, and Rush came with a drop. So Leo Rush eliminated Powerhouse Hobbs. The showcase for MJF in this was that he hid behind Wardlow most of the time, and it, he jumped out once and took a cheap shot on one of the baby faces that was had his back turned and it brought the house down. And then he'd hide behind Wardlow again until finally Leo Rush and old Shoddy Lee Johnson, he was in there too, old Shoddy Lee. Um, they both tried to dump Wardlow and MJF came from behind and dumped all of them, including Wardlow. So that meant that Starks and Dante Martin were left with MJF and the last two guys in the ring fight next week for the, the diamond. And so Dante suddenly dumps Starks and then rips off his Team Taz armband so that means that Dante <laughs> signed the contract with Team Taz two weeks ago. No, was it two weeks ago or last it week? Was, it, was, it was two weeks ago. And they did an interview about it last week, I'm pretty sure. And now he turns on his Team Taz Tazmate, Team Taz, Team Taz Tazmate, Team Taz teammate. <laughs> or maybe they could be Tazmates. Tazmates, I like that. I like it. And... And rips the armband off, but the camera got, missed the shot of him ripping the armband off. It, we saw it laying on the ground. And so now Dante is going to face MJF next week, and Dante's still, a, now he's a babyface again. So MJF offers Dante the handshake, raises his hand, and leaves the ring. And then Starks gets on Dante. And MJF is conflicted. He's looking back. Should he help? Should he not? He's turning back and fight. Yes, he runs to the ring, jumps in, shoves Stark. Stark shoves MJF. And then they both get on Dante. <laughs> and then here comes Punk out and MJF bails and Punk traps Starks in there and hits the GTS on Starks. And that was great stuff at the end. But I'm just, the, the battle royal, lethal in there for no reason. Hobbs getting eliminated by Leo Rush. And then finally, Dante being in Team Taz for two weeks and never, never actually doing anything to benefit Team Taz or Team Taz has never done anything to Dante's detriment. But he just decided with that same sullen look on his face, I don't want to do this what did this all mean? I said I was going to ask you about it beforehand, but I just went through it. The Dante Team Taz stuff makes no sense. They set up that Leo Rush... Let's go back. We started seeing Leo Rush vignettes that he's coming in as LBO, leveraged buyout. He's now a businessman. He comes in 
He tries to sign Dante Martin. Dante's teaming up with Matt Seidel. Somehow everyone's getting along, but they still have a match. Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty, I think, against Leo and Dante, and then they win, so it's just Leo and Dante, and Matt Seidel disappears. Then Taz shows an interest, signs him, and then they confront Leo Rush last week, I think it was in a promo, and now the first time we've seen him actually wrestle as a member of Team Taz, he immediately threw off the armband and turned babyface again. That pretty much summed it up. And so, you know, again, anything that's a vehicle for MJF to get heat and get over it, et cetera, you know, I'm fine with. And this obviously didn't suck and got the point across, but to waste Jay Lethal, to make Hobbs look that vulnerable, and especially to the whole Team Taz thing with Dante just meant nothing. I was I was quite confused, quite confused. Almost like I'd gone out of my mind, ever loving crazy, absolutely nuts, Brian. Nuts? Nuts, nuts. are my favorite. I love nuts because I get them all the time from nuts.com. You love, I love nuts. I've had a couple I've kept with me my entire life. I like to have them around. But folks, I'll tell you what, if you like the nuts... Well, then you need to go to nuts.com. You like the nuts? (laughs) If you like all the varieties of nuts, we're talking about nuts of all kinds. We're talking about dried nuts, roasted nuts, candied nuts, chocolate-covered nuts. I get they probably got pickled nuts. I don't know what the heck they've got. They're all delicious nuts. They're all delicious nuts. Deliciousness. The deliciousness of their delicious nuts is not just for nut lovers. It's the best-kept secret of savvy snackers across America. Wow. And now new customers get 10% off their nuts. Folks, whether it's the candies, the dried fruits, the pantry items, baking mixes, pasta, that nuts.com has over 4,000 products to choose from. At the top of the list, the white chocolate toffee cashews. Of course, Brian, your family, like they, uh, the... Chocolate lovers that they are like the chocolate gummy bears. They have salted, roasted, organic, raw, and candied nuts. Unbelievable quality, fast delivery. If you order a box from nuts.com, it will arrive three hours before you order it. That's how fast their delivery is. You know, let me stop you. They don't guarantee that, although I will say for the record, that is what happened. They delivered me a package a day before they said they were going to ship it. That's right. Because what they do is they have, they follow the Hulk Hogan route, and when they ship you your nuts, they fly it around the world through Japan to beat the international <laughs> dateline. They go the extra mile at nuts.com for you, folks. Yeah, they just go the other way, just turn left instead of turning right. And once they go around Japan, they've gained a day. Folks, anyway, if you'd like the 10% off your first order, if you're a new customer, and if you're a new customer, then you just got to get everything and try it out. If you're an old customer, you already know what you like. Get more of that. But new customers, new nuts, as they say, get 10% off their first order when they text experience to 64,000. That's experience. That's a word. It's a common word in the English language, something you find around the house. Text experience. To 64,000, get 10% off your first order 
from nuts.com. Terms apply. Available at nuts.com slash terms. Who reads those? Who reads the terms? Yes. The Has attorneys. anybody read the terms? Yeah, the attorneys read the terms. Term readers. The terms of the attorneys. You love nuts.com. And I love attorneys. Yes. And I love nutty attorneys. So that's why <laughs> Stephen P. News are all of our favorites. Oh, no, he's not nutty. Anyway. All righty. What was next on this program? Oh, my cracky. Another eight-man tag was next. Now, bear in mind, the first 20 minutes of this program was really good. The next 15 minutes or so wasn't bad. It was all MJF. But then they decided, okay, they can't give any of these teams just straight victories as a team. That would mean something. They've got to put tag teams in eight-man tag matches with peripheral people around ringside to where it's just a big mess and nobody gets over. So in this case, Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr., Jungle Boy and Dino Douche with Julia Hart and Christian Cage at ringside. Do you remember when Christian Cage was a big star in the wrestling business? Yeah. Yeah. And now he walks to the ring with Jungle Boy and Dino Douche and does their interviews because neither one of them can say Suey if the Hogs had him. It's an upgrade over Marco's stunt. You're going to complain? No, at least, the, and that's that they have lost Dwarf Dong Sucker. And I, I don't know that anybody knows where he's gone. I don't know that anybody's looking for him. He's so small, he could be under the couch cushion. We're not sure. But they have finally realized, okay, we can have Jungle Boy, one of our four pillows out there, and, and Dino Douche, for whatever reason, some people like him. He screws everything up, but at least he looks like something standing there. We can have them go out with Christian Cage, a wrestling superstar veteran that can speak for them and give them on-the-job pointers at ringside, or we can send them out with a disgusting dwarf that buries everybody because he doesn't know how to act. So they finally made the right decision there. But they, these two teams tonight on this night wrestled two other teams, the acclaimed caster and Bivens Bowens Bivens is on the other channel. Bowens Bowens. I used to have an insurance guy named Bivens and the team of 2.0 with Daniel Garcia who are everywhere. FTR came in this company and it took us nine months to see them on television as much as we've seen 2.0 and Daniel Garcia in the last six weeks. So basically, I mean, I've zoned out on this. I knew what it was going to be beforehand. Gymnastics routines, confusion, people glowing so green they looked like chlorophyll, and Dino Douche being really awkward. And that's basically what happened. And then they all got in a big fight at the end, like they always do. And Eddie Kingston ran in and then 15 people and all the referees fought to the back and in the back. And I don't know if anything was settled. What, uh, what did you see here? I saw a big match with a lot of people and it, you know, nothing against any of these people specifically. Griff Garrison, nice dive. He looks more like a jungle boy than jungle boy does to be quite honest. Actually, he looks like, Pippi Longstocking had a sex change operation. Well, anyway, I <laughs> I mean, I like 2.0. I think Caster's pretty clever. 
but I didn't care about this. And All of these people in a, in a big mess where they just run in and do things to each other willy nilly. It's, it's just, it's for the people who want to watch performance wrestling, I guess that's something, but it's just a bunch of green guys that can't keep it on track because it's a mess to begin with. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, no, you kind of summed it up. I mean, there's nothing I could really add to this match. It was just there. And, and then it was gone. The best part of the night for the Varsity Blondes and Julia Hart would come later on. Oh, God damn it. That's great oh, wait. All right, we're heading downhill <laughs> fast from here now, folks. FTR and Tully were in the back. And Cash did a promo, and it wasn't his best but Tully did the promo where he basically they're still talking about the Lucha Brothers of every tag team in the company you will get the worst FTR match with the Lucha Brothers we've talked about it because it's complete style clash and Tully said that FTR have beaten he made the point that they've beaten the Lucha Brothers three times and in the very next breath said, but we just can't get him in the ring. <laughs> Apparently you've had him three times now. I know he's trying to make the point that the one guy was hurt and actually it was a visa or a thing or whatever the fuck or paperwork. I don't know. And then one time poor cash was injured and they had to vamp on the finish and all that stuff. But this was not a great promo. And they're going to have the Lucha Brothers again Friday on Rampage. Oh, golly gee whiz. I wish they'd beat those fucking guys for the belts so we could get the, the belts on FTR and start trying to get some quality teams over instead of having to watch the Lucha Brothers have the same match every time because it's just like the Hardly Boys. You can't determine one from another because they do the same shit constantly. Most of it looks phony. Most of it doesn't look like it makes any sense, and some of it looks like it's dangerous. But this promo, I, lo I, I love the Four Horsemen. Tully Blanchard is a veteran. Tully Blanchard was one of the most impeccable in-ring workers and a believable guy that hustled and worked his ass off. And he could talk, too, when he was talking about himself in his prime, in his day, He's not this these promos by Tully are not doing it for this veteran tag team and sometimes uh, managing is a quality that doesn't translate just because you were a great wrestler and also I mean I'm too old for this now and Tully's 10 years older than me so I don't know that they're doing FTR a service or disservice here by not finding somebody modern and current like i'm not saying like this guy but in the vein of we never saw alex abrahantes alex abrahantes how are you say his fucking name abrahantes all right i mean he's been around and he's done commentary or whatever have, have you ever seen him in a managerial role like he took on for penta says no we never saw him in a role like that Okay, then, then if it's not him because he, you know, he's got the Hispanic heritage going with the Lucha Brothers, but is there somebody else out there that would fit, that's younger, that can talk like that, that's fresh and new, that would fit 
with a team like FTR because they're impeccable in the ring. And we've heard them when they're fired up and believe in what they're talking about, they can talk as well. They've been given scant little chance to show it, except in the packages. But they need somebody with them that just brings the energy level up. And I'm not sure Tully's doing that. What do you think? I was a big fan of Tully in The Horseman. He's like the perfect asshole prick heel yeah. who went to college of all time. Yeah. This isn't doing it. And it's actually, I think, hurting FTR. And I'm not advocating for Jim Cornette because... No, I, ju- I just said I was too old. And if, if I'm too old, then Tully's way too old. They need someone with some energy and they need someone who can do some talking and they need someone you're going to want to punch. But Tully comes across like an old guy who's just old. I mean, there's nothing about Tully that's good here. And everyone wants to give all these guys the benefit of the doubt, but I think Tully's hurting FTR. And I think FTR need all the help they can get right now. And they need to get away from Tully. And they need to get FTR with a good manager. And a good opposing team. And it, it Yeah, the Briscoes. There, there you go. Can you imagine what those guys could do? They could fight, they could wrestle, they could do whatever. But you know, that's I'm I'm not knocking Tully either, but it's it's just this I mean, I think we ought to have like they did in the state of California for poor old Fred Blassie. When you're fifty five, you can't get licensed anymore. Could we you know it doesn't mean that some of these guys couldn't be announcers or coaches or producers or whatever. But again, you know, remember when we did the age comparison, I said, okay, the, the young hip promotion, we found out that the young hip AEW promotion had tag team champions that were the same age as my Smoky Mountain wrestling champions and had a heavyweight champion that was seven years older. Then my Smoky Mountain Champions was in 1993. This is not a youth movement. This is a bunch of young, inexperienced green guys mixed in with some guys that are ready for fucking AARP. And you you know, you know you can find a spot for everybody and use everybody, but I don't know that Tully Blanchard is a great manager at this point for the best tag team in the business. And, and also, if... <laughs> Because of the booking that they've been forced to labor under, we were never sure they came in as heels, but then they were presented as baby faces. And then it was back and forth. And then you couldn't keep track of what they were supposed to be because they were wrestling teams that you didn't know whether they were baby faces or heels. And Tully's done nothing to get any heat as a heel manager. But by the same token, he's a legend that in wrestling that a lot of people would consider a babyface because of his legendary status, but they haven't done anything to remind us of what a wonderful person Tully is either. So they haven't made him either a babyface or a heel. They've just, he's been out there doing whatever FTR does, which has been all over the fucking place because they don't know how to book babyfaces and heels. So you never understand who's on what side. and. If you don't understand who's on what side and whether a manager is a heel or not, then the manager is completely useless to begin with, and you booked him that way. So, the, you know, I anyway, I didn't, it was a one-and-a-half-minute pre-tape, so I didn't mean to go on so long, but I just can't 
figure this whole thing out. And we've heard Dax and Cash speak enough to know that if they're going to have a manager, it needs to be someone who can go out there and just venomously spit shit out, not someone who's more subdued than them. Yes. Yes. And also that might possibly not need a walker to get to the ring. Uh, but that was not nearly as bad as what we had next in this descent into hell. The next match, by the popular demand of absolutely no one, was the Hardly Boys with Adam Cole and Brandon Cutlet at ringside with them against the Puddin' Gang of Rocky Romero and Muffin Top Taylor with their manager, Our Little Dog Pockets. So now it's ridiculous that they, it's obvious now they're not only force-feeding us the Hardly Boys, but they have to be combined and contained with the other joke indie talent that will go along with the Hardly Boys and do their foolishness. And so it, it all becomes in this same segment, and that is where they have pigeonholed poor Adam Cole, who is almost completely nullified as a talent that can make any kind of meaningful impact at this point, and only the re for reformation of the Undisputed Era may be able to salvage him at this point because they have taken him from a a fucking huge signing and uh, making a big splash and getting a standing ovation to being a corner man in a comedy match in six weeks. And if I was any of them, I'd be embarrassed. Because that's... They had to work at this. Because they they had something handed to them on a silver platter and they kicked the platter over and threw it in the fucking mud hole. So Cole now is just a stooge hanging around ringside with these fucking clowns. And they had a match and it's the same shit as always. They can't do anything else. Ta Did you notice Taz is now calling Cutlet Cutlet? Yeah, I did notice that. Even he knows that he's a bland, unremarkable piece of white meat. And so, of course, the Hardly Boys win, and then, of course, there's heat after, because that's... You can just write the bullet points of every Hardly Boys match down, and the only thing they ever change is the order they do them in. So Cutlet's in the ring, supposedly shooting video on his little camcorder like a goof in his goofy outfit while they get long, boring, semi-heat on the baby faces. And then suddenly, and folks, I am not making this up, music plays and they get a shot of Trent's mother, Sue, pulling up in her minivan. Remember, th they did this. What it's been a year, and it says that Trent was the only athletic looking, talented worker in this gang of idiots, the best friends. And he got hurt and had to have surgery. So, but about a year ago, in a street fight match with Santana and Ortiz, Sue, the mother with the minivan, was involved, and he would get out of the minivan and she would kiss him on the cheek before he went to the ring. She's back. The new Mrs. Bagwell. Trent comes in and beats up all the heels. 
And he's now shaved his head and he's got a beard and he looks now, but remember before he looked like a bigger, jacked up, athletic looking guy that you could buy as something except he was just playing with children. Now he shaved his hair off. He's got a beard. He looks like every outlaw indie guy. It looks like he dropped six inches in height. That's what got me. I was like, this is the same guy. So basically what happened was Adam Cole was in the corner of a bunch of fucking goofs that were kicking the shit out of the other goofs and the other goofs friend ran into the ring and saved them after his mother drove him up in a minivan and dropped him off. And we're supposed to in any way take this seriously, be excited about it, not think that everybody involved is a complete idiot. Just silliness. And then the mother came in the ring for all the baby faces to dance around. Did you see the people? They're like, what the fuck is this? Get this woman out of the fucking ring. I mean, this wouldn't have gotten over in Columbia, South Carolina, where people are halfway polite to mothers, much less Long Island, where mothers get buried under the fucking Meadowlands with Jimmy Hoffa. That's not true. It's not been proven. Explain the level of silliness that you saw here, Brian. If a mother's going to get buried on Long Island, I would think it would probably be on the way to Robert Moses down by the beach. But that's just my guess. What about some of those real housewives of Teterboro? Bury them all. But Bury them all. This, look, the match was not for me. The Young Bucks suck. I'm sorry. If you tell me you really like the Young Bucks right now, I absolutely look down on you. They are so fucking bad right now. Adam Cole, I don't want to see anymore. I'm sorry. I gave him so many benefits of the doubt. I talked about it the other day. The fact that he's as small as any wrestler I've ever seen. He has no muscle tone. And he goes out there and does silly shit. The best friends are... So bad, and the reason they're so bad is because unlike a Matt Hardy group or something that gets shuffled in and out, it feels like the best friends are always there. They've been there since the start, and they've been seen on this television more often than any legitimate talent that they've had before or since. And the more friends you add, and the more friends you add, the less people care. Yes. And look, these segments, the Bucks segments, and this is all part of the universe of the Bucks. These are typically the worst segments on the show, and they typically run way too long and have all the stupidness, and it's counterproductive to a show where you have the CM Punks, you have the Danielsons, you have the MJFs, even the Darbys who keep things serious. And there are other guys. Taz keeps things serious, but I know he's not a main event player right now. But these segments are bad. And then the return of Trent. It was going on for so long that you just knew something had to happen at some point. It's the epitome of everything that was wrong and awful about AEW in the early days before they had star power, when they thought their stars were the star power they needed. It's everything I hate about that. Do you think this stuff is what's keeping the ratings from getting any bigger when they sign the stars and they sign the mainstream names and they start doing the good stuff? You always still see this. Is this running off the people who would watch this program because it just looks so minor league? I'll put it this way. I don't think it gets any new people. And I think AEW has had some great moments on their shows, but have done, a, I think, a bad job of capturing and 
running with the momentum the last couple of months. There have been great segments, but the show is still filled with so much bad shit usually. And even when it's a show with minimal shit, the shit is so bad. You're like, why is this even on the show? Why is this on the air? But the momentum isn't as hot right now as it was, and I don't think that Kevin Owens or anything else is going to heat it back up. You get it heated up by having really good segments every segment on the show or close to it. But when you have serious segments that are really good and you follow it with bad comedy that it seems like less and less people are reacting to, yeah, by the end of the match, people will pop for near falls. They'll do that if fucking Nikolai Volkov's wrestling someone. They'll do that for anybody. They pop for near falls. It's called wrestling. But I hate this stuff. I don't want to see the Bucks. I don't want to see Cole. I don't want to see the best friends. I would like someone to fund a promotion. But Tony, you know what, Tony? Give them a show where it's just <laughs> all them and none of me. That's what I want. Garbage. But this is complete garbage. Ugh. And I, I'm sorry, but when, when, if you open a restaurant and you bring in a celebrity chef to cook the meal, and a million two hundred and fifty thousand people come and eat, and they their experience something about their experience indicates that a third of those people will not be back a month later. You you fed them something they didn't like, and it wasn't the person that made them tune in in the first place. It was something else on the program. You can't mean to tell me that anybody besides the people that have been watching AEW since the start and are apparently complacent and okay with this foolishness. Anybody else that has watched that program specifically because they got CM Punk or Brian Danielson or this star or that star or any of their debuts or whatever saw what they came to see and they saw a bunch of other segments with goofballs that look like they're on their local fucking indie at their high school doing silliness. And they said, oh, okay, this is one of those. What was it? What were the people on NFL Twitter when they discovered Chris Jericho was still wrestling last year? They were calling it. They didn't say outlaw mud show because they didn't know the terminology, but the low budget wrestling or whatever they were. That's what it looks like because they've got people that obviously can't be stars having crummy matches and doing stupid things and acting silly. That's been the albatross around AEW's neck since day one because of the original talent choices that Tony Khan made. I'm not even talking about the Hardly Boys and Twinkle Toes. They came with an audience. I'm talking about letting them get all of their friends' jobs instead of going on a search for actual legitimate quality talent that could be obtained and, and, and he won't get rid of them. It thinks it, it just won't get rid of them. That's what's keeping more people from watching this show on a regular basis. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, go ahead. I was going to say? say one other thing, cause I've defended Nick Jackson a lot on this show, but I'm sorry. Anyone who watches the early part of that match and Nick Jackson and Rocky Romero and doesn't think that looks like it just bad choreography. Guys who, in their head, Nick Jackson knows what he wants to do because it's the same thing he does in every fucking match, and they're doing a routine. There's no feeling to that. I watched that, and, I, and in my head, I had it on mute because I was doing something else, and I looked up, and I started laughing, thinking of the Benny Hill music playing because it would have worked. <laughs> it would have worked. It was just a routine, and I don't know. There's a shelf life for that, I think. Well, speaking of people that ought to be put on the shelf, um. 
The next segment, real quick, it only took 30 seconds. I'll try to be shorter than that in describing it. Ruby Soho, Penelope Pitstop, The Bunny, Vicky Guerrero, and Nyla Rose had an embarrassingly phony-looking fight backstage where they just started fighting and they just do the said It's, again, the most dangerous place in wrestling, backstage. But then we came out into the building with Tony Schiavone. And Sammy Guevara, another talented young man. And Tony asked Sammy a question. And Sammy said, that's right. And Cody's music interrupted him. <laughs> they won't even just let the guy talk for 20 seconds. It's like, especially on this show, there was no better use of your 20 seconds than to let Sammy Guevara say something here. But Cody's music interrupts and the building erupts in booze. And Cody comes out, and he's all burnt up. You can see he's got skin flaking off of him right and left. And apparently on Christmas Day, did they say Christmas Day? And isn't that a Saturday? So are we back to AEW on Saturdays on Christmas? Uh, I got to check on that, because don't they do the marathon of the Christmas story? I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but somehow I got on Christmas. It's going to be Cody versus Sammy Guevara. So now he can... He can challenge for this title, just not the 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 big one. So there you've got a baby face against a guy who's supposed to be a baby face and is universally hated. So is it is it a plot? I don't know what the fuck's going on here. And then it, Cody goes to walk off and he teases going down the heel tube and then goes, oh, and turns around and goes the other way. So you would think that would be the end of it, but suddenly. Scorpio Sky and the other page are in the balcony, but they have a microphone and the spotlight guy has been clued in to shoot them. So they interrupt the interview that Cody just interrupted. Why were they in the balcony? Why are they up there? I forgot they were there. Since that fucking Lambert Jericho feud ended, I forgot all about these people. Well, they were still up in the balcony. Apparently, they, they got kicked out of the locker room. They're like the Miz. They're making him dress in a broom closet somewhere. I don't know. But now the other page was complaining that he wants a title shot. And they imitated heels doing wrestling promos and made mean faces on purpose for a minute. And then that was over. So the first 30 minutes of this show was fabulous. And the 45 minutes since that point have sucked pond water. And guess what was next, Brian? You've been saying to me, well, now that Jamie Hayter, she's got something. Remember the last time I, who was it? You wanted me to watch, you wanted me to watch the girl that the Japanese girl that jumps off the chair. What is the fucking her name? It was Sheeta. It was Hikaru Sheeta versus Serena Deeb. That yeah. And, and, and they're about that, to have their rematch. They're about to have their third match that you promised to watch. Yeah, well, it's because the last time I watched Sheeta, Sheeta sucked. And I watched it for you. And this time, okay, I'm going to watch Jamie Hayter, even though she's against Riho. <sighs> even these easy-to-please fans did not want to see this homely, chinless little midget back again. Have you noticed Riho? She not only looks scared and intimidated, she is 
chinless to the point where she looks like Popeye's girlfriend, Olive Oil. What are you, why are you beating up on her like this? Because this is continues to be ridiculous for the past two years plus, simply because one of the EVPs has some type of fetishistic attraction to these outlaw Japanese girl wrestlers. I'm not talking about ones that have achieved great fame and prominence. I'm talking about the Rihos and the Emi Sakuras and the rest of them that look like schoolgirls that dress in lace that work in fucking outlaw shows in Japan where they have matches in apartments and on basically fucking, I don't know, moving parade floats. I don't know. These are not real wrestlers. And they have been foisted upon us under the guise of being supposedly great Japanese women wrestlers. No, it's fucking Riho. She's 98 pounds. She looks like olive oil. And it's fucking ridiculous. And this is another thing. And then sock face. Old excrement. Excalibur, in case anybody's confused. Actually, again, remember he did this about a year and a half ago and I called it out. I'm going to do it again. He said out loud on the television program, well, Riho is a 15-year pro. She started pro wrestling at the age of nine. Does anyone without their head stuck up outlaw mud show Japanese wrestling ass understand how stupid that sounds to a normal person? Just ignorant and stupid that that would sound to a normal person or to anybody in the wrestling business until the last 10 years. Oh, she started as a pro when she was nine. So this makes the goddamn announcers look like complete idiots. And no, by the way, it wasn't pro wrestling. It was Japanese parody wrestling, not a real wrestling promotion. What are they? What is it? DDT? Or some they they have panda bears that wrestle, and they do this the sex toys and the dolls, and they have the nine year old girls. That's not professional wrestling. She was not a professional wrestler when she was nine years old, and nobody else has been either. But it makes the show and everybody on it look like fucking idiots. So then this match, olive oil. Is basically Jamie Hader's pretty good size and seems like, as you mentioned one time, she kind of works like a guy. But in this case, she was having to sell for, fly for, flip for this embarrassment that they will not admit has been a failure because Twinkle Toes is the only adult human being, male, female, or in between in the United States of America that thinks that outlaw Japanese amateur girls would get over in this country. And that's why they've sacrificed every single one practically of their legitimate female talents. Ones, the ones that they've actually been able to entice Britt Baker, Serena Deeb, Thunder Rosa. They've sacrificed them almost all at one time or another to this dreck. And it looks like shit. Did you see when Riho 
climb to the top rope and there's Jamie Hayter standing on the floor idly talking to Reba and Britt Baker and trying to ignore Riho climbing to the top. Then she looks up and sees Riho and sticks her arms out to catch Riho and Riho dives off and drops like a turd in a punch bowl right in front of Jamie Hayter and hits the floor. But since it was the spot Jamie Hayter was supposed to catch her and power slam her or whatever, she just leans over and picks the little 98-pound fucking flea bag up and just runs her into the post. Because did I mention she only weighs 98 pounds? She could have caught her if she'd have got there. She couldn't get there, and all she had to do was drop. This was abysmal. This girl can't work. She's visually ridiculous. She has the personality of styrofoam. And this match went through a break. And after an hour or so, guess who won? Riho. And she's the number one contender again. And then she cried because she won. And then the heels got heat on her because it's a match on AEW and they have to. This match proved if one of the executive vice presidents had a fetish for sheep, Mary's little lamb would be the women's champion. Your thoughts on this match? I was embarrassed by this match. I have been a lot more lenient than you, obviously, of Riho. I really like Jamie Hayter. She's got some size. She works like someone with some size. Even the way she just walks to the ring, there's like an attitude. She's a little different than everyone else there. With that said, I got madder and madder the more Riho kicked out of everything that would have killed her. Because every time she kicked out, you realized, oh yeah, it absolutely is Riho going over. Yeah. But not that there was any doubt, but... I and, think- and, and you were slapped in the face with, oh yeah, this also is completely fucking fake. It was just so stupid. She kicked out of shit that looked devastating. Fuck. Jamie Hader looked good there. The catch on the floor, I don't know if Hader missed... I'm not justifying Hader picking her up like she did catch her, but I don't know if Hader missed her as much as Riho didn't jump far enough. Well, that, but the thing... No, Hader didn't miss her at all, because Hader is standing in one position yeah. looking up at a person on the top turnbuckle who dives off and plummets stra- 90 degrees straight to the ground. Hader does another thing. And I saw this once before on the floor, and now I saw her do it in the ring, so it's definitely one of her things. When someone does a cross body onto her, she jumps. So that like when she catches the person, yes. she's in the air. And it looks pretty that, good each time. That actually, guys, I've seen a lot of guys do that, that that can get the timing on it. It actually, it does not only make the move look better and make your make your bump make more noise and get a bigger bump or a bigger bounce and et cetera, but it can actually, in some cases, uh, if you do it right, cushion some of the impacts. Everybody's landing square. Rather, you're catching somebody, your knees are, oh, shit, and whatever the fuck. But in this case, none of these people needed to be doing any of this And stuff. I get it. Look, it's not just Kenny. It's also Tony. Don't forget that. And they want to do Riho versus Britt Baker. And Britt Baker is one of the most over people in the whole company. That's one of the few things that justifies the women's division is the existence of Britt Baker. And then Britt Baker has to get in the ring with this little tyke and shit the bed. I don't get it. There is, it's, 
They killed Hayter. She kicked out of everything Jamie Hayter did. It was ridiculous. They could have done this People have so laughed at me. People have laughed at me for saying that there must be some kind of quid pro quo relationship with old Twinkle Toes as to why that they would feature this little girl with no talent, no look, no ability to promo nothing to, sh- to stink their show up. Explain that to me. Any other reason otherwise than Twinkle Toes is dipping his fucking pen in the company ink? I'm not going to say that. But obviously there are people within the company who love Japanese women's wrestling. The okay, good, the good and some, the bad. some professionals. Well, that's the problem. They like the good stuff and seemingly all the bad stuff. And again, the women's division, you have Britt Baker. I like Hater, Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb. There's other people there who are marketable. Anna Jay and uh, Ty Conte I like. But I'm sorry. Oh, they they were the ones that made the save on uh, the other girl getting beat up in the back by all the heels. Yeah. They, came in, they came in with chairs and then didn't do anything with the chairs and stood in front of the people that had been committing the assault a foot away with chairs and then just turned around and ignored them. And I don't need to see the fucking Penelope Fords and the Bunnies and the Nyla Roses anymore. There's a lot of people just eat up time and space, but I don't really think they're bringing much to the table, and they're certainly not enjoyable to watch. And I'll say this, too. I know she has a lot of goodwill and the fans like her, but I'm yet to see what makes Ruby Soho so special. I saw that match she had the other day that was all right. Was it with Hater? I forget who it was with. It was the one where she did the exaggerated... Oh my God, she kicked out thing, which was ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. On promos, I'm not seeing it at all. It, just, well, it comes across like WWE promos. Again, they had she had momentum. They loved the fact that Ruby Soho, under her new name, has been freed from the evil empire and has come there and can do what she wants to do and blah, blah, blah. They didn't have anybody lined up for her to work with to get her over ring-wise. They, that's where their lack of depth of quality experienced professionals in the women's division. They've got Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb that can work with anybody, but if they put everybody over, then that kills them off. Britt Baker is the top girl and she doesn't need to be putting people over willy nilly. And everybody else is so green. I didn't expect Ruby Soho to be the best women's wrestler in the world, or she would have shown it by now. But if you've got somebody that the people are happy to see and that they like, and that has charisma, and gets over because their look, find people to work with them to make them look better than they are. They have not produced those people for poor old Ruby Soho. She's been Ruby So-So. But Brian, I'll tell you one thing that is never so-so and is never going to let you down and is always going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. You know what that is? My maid? No. Oh. In addition to her. The Raycon wireless earbuds, they're not so-so, they're fantastic, and they will never tell you anything you don't want to hear because you're the one programming the soundtrack of your life on the Raycon wireless earbuds. It's the holiday time, and you've seen about a thousand suggestions on the commercials, gift for your mother, gift for a friend, gift for your neighbor's dog. I, I actually spend a lot of time thinking about the dogs in the neighborhood, but You can study all those gift guides. You can shop at millions of different places. It will never reap you the rewards that you will have if you just start and end your shopping at Raycon and get everybody 
a gift that they'll use the wireless earbuds, whether they want to listen to podcast audio, whether they want to listen to music, whether they're doing a workout or they're working and they want to listen to something to keep them from going crazy while they work. And they can't even tell what you're listening to because these things, they don't have the wires hanging out and the antenna, like you look like a Martian. You stick these things in your ears, you can't tell hardly that you've got them in from a ways away. You can kayfabe what you're listening to. Why sometimes you might even forget you've got them in at all and leave them there. And then they work their way into your brain and they just program songs in your brain. And when you think about something, then it automatically starts playing. That's a, a, actually, you have to work on these for a while. It takes probably six to eight months of wearing them constantly before you can just think of things and it melds to your brain. However, if you just want to stick them in and take them out later on, they work just fine. You get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds at its best. They got the pure mode, the balanced mode, and the bass mode. They're available in five stylish colors. There's white, there's black, there's red, there's blue, and there's a fluvia. So you can pick a perfect color for everybody on your list. They may have other colors also, I'm not sure. I think a fluvia might be sold out. Anyway, folks, the holidays are coming up faster than you think, so now is the time. Avoid the last-minute shipping scramble. Right now, my listeners will get 15% off site-wide. Anything at buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, and then use the code HOLIDAY. This is different than what we've been talking about beforehand. Caught us unawares. Buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, so they know you're with us, and use the code HOLIDAY. H-O-L-I-D-A-Y and get 15% off your entire Raycon order. You buy 15 pairs of these things, you're still getting 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash J-C-E and use the code HOLIDAY and you'll be you'll be whistling Dixie out the muffler of your ass with these things and you'll just be, your music will fill your head. Listen to Christmas carols. Listen to the Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Whatever you want to listen to with the Raycon wireless earbuds. Well, I wish I could have listened to something else other than the remainder of uh, AEW, but we still have more to go. Yeah, we do. Here was what you were talking about, Brian, when you said that uh, the Varsity Blondes and Julia Hart's best moment was coming up. Tony Schiavone is now there with Griff and Pillman and Julia Hart on the ramp. She's just a cute, just an adorable little thing. Just cuter than a brand new speckled puppy. However, again, Tony asks Griff a question. Griff says two words. The lights go out. When the lights come on, Malachi Black has appeared there in front of them. I would estimate about six feet in front of him. And he blows the mist at Julia Hart. But he's too far away. And it doesn't get there. She screams and sells it anyway and drops to her knees in pain while the lights go back out. And then the lights come back on and Malachi Black is gone and they have left poor Brian Pillman there kneeling next to her with absolutely nothing to say otherwise than somebody get somebody. (laughs) 
And that's a quote, folks. <laughs> because <laughs> who's producing this? Who's doing the walkthrough? Who didn't tell Brian Pillman how to react? Who didn't have referees and security and or the doctor, Dr. Sampson on staff, ready to run in? Who didn't tell Malachi Black again to get closer to his intended victims because the mist will not go that far? Who? Who is the question I have? Thought this whole segment would be a good idea. After the second blackout, Malachi Black's gone. The lights come back on. And as I said, there's poor Brian. Griff ran off somewhere. At least he wasn't on camera. Thank God. Julia Hart is screaming and and trying to cover her face kind of with her hands so that you can't tell that there's absolutely no black stain anywhere in her eyes on her face. Pillman had taken some that got on his hand and tried to wipe it on his face because he kind of sold it at the same time. But it was more like a, a smudge on the side of his head. And he's just left there to have the fake anguish. And while she's screaming and crying, he's that's when he's going, somebody get somebody. After the second blackout, when Malachi Black was gone, the lights come back on again. This wouldn't have cured the fact that it was obvious the mist missed her because there was none on her face, but couldn't Brian Pillman have scooped her up like a baby in his arms, like the mummy carries the fucking reincarnation of his princess and look up and, and Stella or something, right? And screaming for revenge as the referees and the doctors converge. And, and if you've ever been pepper sprayed, which I have, you don't just fucking cry and put your hand up to your forehead like, oh, I've forgotten my shopping list. You're goddamn, you're blind and you're miserable and it's burning and you're not acting like that. And nobody around you is just kneeling there going, somebody get somebody. Shouldn't somebody have brought some milk, which is what you use in your eyes when you've been pepper sprayed. Shouldn't someone have been this poor, cute little teenage girl? Somebody could have been more broken up about this. It was phony as a football bat. And so every time that Malachi Black does this, he gets himself less over because he can't do it, doesn't know how to do it. Nobody's explaining to him how to do it. And it's not get, it's not coming across. And they're not selling it afterwards. 30 great minutes and an hour and 15 minutes of the stench of grisly death on this program. He has fucked up every missed spot he has had so far. He was nowhere near them. It's ridiculous, the idea that it's one thing for his entrance. For him to do a run-in, the lights go out, he does that. And then someone said, oh my God, he just hurt that woman. Quick, turn the lights out so we can get out of there. Why? Yes. It makes yeah. no sense. Her selling... Give her credit. She was doing as well as she could, but there was no black on her face at all. But Pillman Jr., he deserves the Academy Award for bad acting. What the hell was he doing? What was he I doing? Feel, I feel so bad. They just left him there to twist in the wind. You need to tell people 
how they should react. You need to have peripheral players to run in and create the chaos. You need to walk through this with everybody. And the mist is inexcusable. One time, yes. Anytime after that, when you're missing the mist, that's inexcusable. Either get it right or don't do it. And I learned that the first time I threw powder on Mid-South Television, I've told this story, but Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Duggan against the Midnight Express, and I'm supposed to throw powder in Junkyard Dog's eyes, and it was the middle of the summer, and they had these giant six-foot exhaust fans because the Irish McNeil was not air-conditioned, and the way Dog took his bump, lined up, whatever, I had to jump up and throw into the current. And the guy did the fans caught the powder in midair and I was only three feet from dog and blew it back at me to the point where it dropped on the mat and dog went down and had to crawl and rub his face in the powder on the mat to get it on his face. But he was quick thinking. But after that, I always, I check the wind, get the meteorological report, do whatever I need to do to make sure that the gimmick gets to its intended victim. This It was brutal. And then you do something like that, it buries the announcers. Because they're having to sell what people obviously saw didn't happen. Anyway, 30 great minutes and an hour 15 of horse shit, and we're on the main event. Brian Danielson against Little Brutus of the Dork Order. And again, the guys, it's free. he's from Long Island and Danielson's kicking the shit out of all the dork order people to get ready for Paige. And I understand the story. And I knew that this was going to be a clinic by Brian Danielson on how to do anything that he did, whether it be a heel or just work in general or get a point across or get another guy elevated. But it was also going to be a match that nobody cared about, nor will they remember tomorrow, except if we're talking about it. And I kind of watched some of this, and then I zoned out because I was so ready for this thing to be over at this point. And obviously, Danielson won, and then started getting heat afterwards, and Paige made the save. If anybody was still watching, I, I, do we have ratings yet, or are we... I just saw Is them before. Too quick a turnaround. Let me pull them up. I did see that they are out, but I don't have them in front of me. I'll get them right now. If any show deserved to start with a strong rating and bottom out and crater out by the end of the thing, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have hung around to see Brian Danielson, but if they were tough enough and hardy enough to sit through the last hour and a half of this show to see Danielson's match, that's a fucking, that's a tough breed right there. I, I don't know that. You know, the, the, the Danielson being in the main event was a favor to anybody here because you literally had to make the effort to say, I'm, I don't care how bad this gets. I'm going to wait till the end of it because I want to see Danielson. 872,000 viewers. Is there any breakdown as to whether they started stronger and ended weaker or we just got... That's the total. Let me get the breakdowns while you continue to talk. Well, because, and I won't continue to talk too much longer, but... um. 872,000, 800 and something thousand. That's we we've said it and I'll repeat it. They get up to 1.2 million when they have a big debut or a sought after moment, such as CM Punk returning to wrestling. 
And within a few weeks or a month, they go back down to or, or the hot shot match or the football field fuckery or whatever they do. They get up to 1.2. And within a month, they've dropped back to 800 and something thousand because that's the amount of people that are going to watch AEW television, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. That's just the way it is. It, all things being equal, not against the Super Bowl or not on an off night, but just on a regular Wednesday night. That's what they're going to get. And the other people are the people that tune in to see somebody they know that they've wanted to see, that they're aware of. And obviously, they're not going to be disappointed in them, but they're disappointed in the rest of the show because it's it's suddenly, instead of just silliness with kids playing, it's even more infuriating. Because now they've got real quality talent and you get some good segments and then they put the kids on again and it stinks the show up and runs off the people they just got. What's the breakdown? Here are the breakdowns for the eight quarters. The first segment, which was the CM Punk interview, 922,000 viewers. Okay. The second segment, which would have been the Battle Royal, 980,000 viewers. Wow. So everybody called and said, Punk's on, and MJF's coming, and boy, this thing's cooking. The third segment, which would have been the eight-man tag match, 864,000 viewers. There you go, because they went from stars to, who the fuck are these people? The next segment, which was the start of the Bucks versus Best Friends, did 866,000, and... The next segment, which was the conclusion of that match, and then I think uh, the women's promo, 893,000. The sixth quarter of the show, which would have been the Cody Rhodes confrontation segment and Riho's match, 823,000. We're headed south. The seventh quarter, which was the conclusion of that match and Malachi Black's total destruction through... Vanishing Mist of the Varsity Blondes, 812,000. Ooh. And the final segment, which would have been the main event, Brian Danielson versus the Dark Order guy, 814,000. Jesus. So basically, by the time that the people had to sit through all that other shit, Brian Danielson's segment got 2,000 viewers more than the fucking Varsity Blondes getting Missing Mist. That. There you go, 814 from 9, what was the first segment, 960-something? The first segment was 922, but then it peaked in the second segment, 980. Okay, they lost between 100 and 150,000 people from the first 30 minutes to the last 15 minutes. It really seems like following the Battle Royal, which again was following the Punk segment, she had MJF there. Yeah. Following that with the eight-man tag just caused enough people to turn off the channel and not come back. Ah, they still lost a few more after the Bucks. You know, that's part of the problem, though. (laughs) They did, but you know what? When you see Punk in the opening segment, you know you're not going to see him again the rest of the show. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason if you've seen that, okay, I could turn off the TV. Though CM Punk segment is done for tonight. If you're into Sting and Darby and you see them in their segment. Well, now, he did come out and help briefly later on, but still, I know what you mean. But it's part of the same, you know, the the Battle Royal to me is part two of the Punk interview because it leads to the MJF Punk stuff. But the rest of the show, it's like once you see your guy, 
You never, it's never like we said last time. It's never, what will Stone Cold do later in the show? He's not here. We know he's in the area. He will be here. You don't have to go that far, but it's like CM Punk is here and he was here and now we're going to move on. Well, that's, we said that that's one thing that Vince McMahon insisted on was the thread through the show in the day, the glory days of raw, when there were five, six, seven, eight million people, whatever the fuck it was, you saw your main event guys at the start. And there was reason to believe from what happened that you would see one or more of them interact again, whether it be in the main event match or whether it be in something else that would happen later on in the show, there was some thread to get you to stick with it and sit through the Kai and Tai match. And the, all these are standalone segments because you've got the, you know, the quality talent, obviously, and they should be like Danielson, Punk, MJF. You've got them obviously kind of running their segments because they're all good. And then you got to guys like the Puddin' Gang that are probably running all their segments because they're rotten. And it, it, there's, there's no thread running through the shows other than ones that the announcers make up on their own as they go. But you're, you're a very good point. If, if there was thought that you would see CM Punk again, or that something would happen to CM Punk, or that something would happen to somebody that CM Punk would have something to say about, or whatever... You could you could hang through some of this dreck in the middle a little a little more palatably. And it doesn't but, just have to be punk, but when all of a sudden at the end of the show, after you get 30 minutes of good stuff and then a lot of bad shit, now you're supposed to wait around and see Brian Danielson. You haven't seen him the entire show, and now he's going to come out there wrestle against someone who you know he's going to destroy. So the only draw of the match is to see him kick this guy's face in. If you still lasted throughout this whole show. And yes, that's the and, and then you will see him get heat after, and then you will see his opponent, in this case, Paige, make a save, and but you won't see anything resolved between them. But there's nothing throughout the show. Brian Danielson in the main event. Brian Danielson just did an interview. We're going to play this while we're watching this match because no one cares about this match and our commentary sucks. Let's hear this audio right now. Oh, that's what he said. Things are never like happening throughout the show. Either that or Danielson the in the opening part of the show says, I'm going to kick the fucking teeth out of this fucking clown like I did out of Colt Cabana's mouth a couple of weeks ago. And then at the top of the nine o'clock hour, Adam Page says, well, you know what? I want to get a good sight of that. I want to get a good look at it. So I'm going to be at ringside. I'm not going to manage the guy. I'm just going to sit in the front row next to my, my favorite rat Ethel and drink some <laughs> beer and watch this match. I'm not going to get involved. I promise. Shit like that. And boy, have they made me not care at all about Adam Page. That wore off quickly. It was the celebration at home, and then he's the champion? Really? Yeah. He's, well, he's an afterthought, because it, they're not going to go out and let him do... <laughs> he had that one interview where he came off like a man, and real, and likable, and all that stuff. And the rest of the time, he's hanging around with the dork order, and running in and chasing people off. Did we actually review the match or did we just talk ratings? Um, well, I'm just, I forgot to pay any fucking attention to the match at that point. Cause I was getting tired. So that's pretty, I mean, it, it, it's Danielson's great and little Brutus, you know, he can do some shit, but do you think they got to get the belt off page right now? 
Is well, now the time already? No. Well, even if it was, they wouldn't. For Danielson. Um, they have got themselves in this position where if they take the belt off Page anytime in the very near future, it makes him look worse than if he'd never won it at all. If if they wanted to put it on Danielson this quick, but they're not, they can't be thinking ahead of any of this shit or elsewise they'd figure out what was wrong with it before they did it. But if they now want to put the belt on Danielson, they've got to sacrifice Page because he's going to look like a fucking moron if he only has it a couple months after all this time. They could have had Danielson come in and, and swoop in and beat Twinkle Toes for the belt right out right in front of Adam Page, who was just coming off maternity leave, and it could be like he walks in the door and see the other guy walking out with his belt. Hey, what the fuck happened here? And then you'd still have that to go, and then Danielson could have turned heel as he's just done in the same way, but after beating Twinkle Toes and getting the belt, and then you could have Page versus Danielson, and it wouldn't have hurt Page not to win the belt from Twinkle Toes if Danielson got there first and it then expedited an issue between Danielson and Page. Then, if you still wanted to put the belt on Page in the future, you could have Page beat Brian Danielson, which will get somebody over in the real world a lot stronger than beating fucking Twinkle Toes. Because who outside of the wrestling bubble even knows who fucking Harpo is? Danielson's been the WWE champion when people actually watch the shit. I don't know. Now you're trying to do the same thing we used to do with shit stains work, where you're trying to let somebody else start the murder mystery, and then you take over in the middle and try to figure out who did it. It's always better to have somebody from the start that knows what they're doing, putting this shit together than trying to go fix something later on. But we got what we got. Well, that was AEW's debut on Long Island, Dynamite. I wish we'd had some dynamite so I could have blown the last hour and a half of that show off the face of the earth. Anyway, before we blow this show off the face of the earth, um, I want to thank our friend John Fell, who has done some research that you're going to be hearing about very shortly. Uh, as we discuss on the program, the Next segments of our territory talk, we started a couple of weeks ago with the premise of where would the Midnight Express and I have gone in 19, 1985 if we had not gone to world class and had a deal in place to go work for Crockett later on, where would we have gone? What territory? What company? <clears throat> and I mentioned that we're going to do some of those, and especially over the holidays where we have some opportunity to sit down and talk about it. But John Fell has done some research on the AWA and the WWF because especially the WWF, I really didn't follow at the time. I've said this. And so, you know, I can talk and expound on Florida and Georgia and Texas and the territories, but um, John has done some research on some of the teams and opponents and things that would that were there in 1985 and 86 in the WWF and AWA and so we're going to use that and did you do you, well I'm sure you do remember cuz you're a savant but the teams in 1985 
that were fighting for the tag team championship were Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda and Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. We probably would have had a pretty good match with Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda. But if the style of heel tag team stylings at, in that company was at that time was Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. And I love Nikolai as a person to death and he's the greatest human being. But maybe that's why we didn't go or ever even think about going. <laughs> well, that's not, they're not really You couldn't really, really have anybody farther. No, they had other teams, but they were pushing Volkov and Sheik on top when they also had the Rougeaus and the Hart Foundation and well, Beefcake and Valentine. Not yet time. exactly. You got to remember a few things. Jerry Briscoe told me when I asked him that the original plan was for the Briscoe brothers to turn heel, and that would have been the first feud with Wyndham and Rotunda. So we missed that on I that. can see that. I and that would have been great because we just came off, going into 85, we came off an amazing series with the Briscoes against Adonis and Murdoch. Then we got Wyndham and Rotunda and they had no one to work with because the Hart Foundation hadn't started yet and they had to work with Volkov and the Sheik and then that led into the dream team of Valentine and Beefcake. But for the Midnight Express, you would have been able to work with the Killer Bees. Not optimal, but not the worst. You would have been able to work with the British Bulldogs in 85. I mean, there would have been good teams for you to work with. You know, it would have been interesting. Either the Bulldogs and the Midnight Express would have had the greatest tag team matches in the ring ever yet seen, or Dynamite Kid and Dennis Condry would have got on sideways with each other and somebody would have got hurt. <laughs> knowing the personalities involved. Even 86, you wouldn't think of it, but like Midnight Express versus the Islanders before they turned heel, Haku and Tama or the Tonga Kid. That would have been fun. I mean, it would have been enough guys for a good heel team to work with. Your competition would have been the Hart Foundation, not Nikolai and the Sheik. Well, Ando, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't as welcoming as the NWA crew. But and now that I've thought that about it, I'm just, how would Dennis Condry and Dynamite Kid, if Dynamite had liked Dennis, they would have gone, got along and everything would have been rosy. If Dynamite Kid had fucked with Dennis Condry's shit, we probably would have seen a Rougeau episode a couple of years earlier. Now that I think about it, that could have gone either way. We have to ask an expert like a David Schultz, someone who knows both parties, who would be able to figure out how they would interact. Well, I'm, I'm just saying it could have been up and it would depend. It would have hinged on Dynamite. If Dynamite had liked Dennis and they'd have got along, everything would have been fine. If Dynamite kid had messed with Dennis Condry shit shit would have happened much before it actually did but anyway so that's what we're going to be doing um for everybody wondering over the holidays we're going to keep a steady schedule of drive-throughs new programming and as we usually do at the end of the year for the experience we're going to have some on the bus episodes of some of the things that the listeners have been asking for um, an omnibus of commercial spots, uh, some bloopers. Uh, there's something else that I'm forgetting that's being worked on in there. What is it? Well, we don't want to spoil the surprise. We don't but want we to have spoil several all great surprise. omnibuses coming, and not just for the podcast listeners, but there will be some that will be available for YouTube subscribers before people get to hear them on podcasts in the future. Lots of fun things in the work. Yes, in the works. And 
in the or just the work in the work. That's what we're perpetrating <laughs> here is the work. But anyway, and and uh, we are going to do territory talk. Thanks with John Fell for your uh, research and uh, over the Christmas and New Year's holidays on the drive-through. There'll be a lot of that discussion going on now that we've got notes and etc. And hopefully, over the holidays, everybody will stop doing stupid newsworthy things so we can just relax and talk about some extrapolate and expound on some philosophical wrestling discussions. That's what right. you think. Like what's going on in the world of Virgil and other fun topics. And other fun about. topics. Boy, talk about nuts. He's just, he's just crazy. Go. I could save this for the drive through, but we do have a Virgil update. Oh, well, go. Let's, let's close with the Virgil update. I'm not certain if this is really him. Now, it has a blue check mark on Instagram, but it's so outrageous and all over the place. How could it be him? It has to be someone else doing it or helping him. Let me know what you think. Okay, well, and I didn't know. So blue check marks work on Instagram as well as the Twitter. It's a separate system, but the same concept. But it's the same concept. Okay. Right. Gotcha. So this is the account Real Virgil responding to you talking about his previous response. <laughs> <laughs> where he claimed that you were trying to twist Missy Hyatt's nipples like a radio yeah. dial, and <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. So This would be news to Missy also, by the way. Well, here is uh, his comment about your comments. Why do I have to spend my entire fucking day being told that Jim is still obsessed with me and my meatballs? Why is it that he needs me more than Ted, Andre, and Terry did? Why do I even have to pretend to give four fucks? As well, what's so great about Brian Last? <laughs> like, when has he ever been recognized by 400 Korean women at once? If he ever challenged a meat sauce messiah to an Olive Garden smorgasbord super showdown, I'd Ricky Bobby his Hawaiian ass. Because if he ain't first, he's last. Brian, my dude, did you train Warrior, make El Dandy a household name, or slam Andre? Don't think so. You need to respect my million-dollar appetite or risk total Arcadian annihilation, my dude. <laughs> now, for James, somebody tell Corny to quit dropping my name at every Olive Garden in Kentucky trying to score free breadsticks when everybody knows those perks are strictly reserved for the master of meat sauce, the olive overlord, the gargantuan of the garden, uh, that was a period after that. I probably shouldn't have made it sound like there was a comma. A comma. Now pay me my Rakota royalties before I command Spectrum to shut down your Wi-Fi quicker than the Midnight Express would job out to my trainees, Lanny Keen and Bobby Blaze. <laughs> See, that's where, I'll continue in a second. That's where it that, came out of where, nowhere. Yeah. And, yeah. And, <laughs> what the fuck? And, and as we, Bobby's a member of the family. Lanny Keen of Lanny all the Keen names has pulled out. What? Passed away, obviously, also. I made them the greatest Kentucky exports that you were begging for their affirmation. Oh, wait a minute. For the affirmation. Lanny, Lanny was Cousin Junior, one of the hillbillies, but he wasn't really from Kentucky. He was from New Jersey, wasn't he? I think so, or from the Northeast. But finally, he says, you're just pissed at Diane Von Hoffman and Debbie Combs were madly in love with me, and you never had that three-way with them the way I did. Don't be jealous because they love dark meat. It's so nuts, and it's all over the place, and 
I can't imagine someone else writing this, but Diane von Hoffman, Lanny Keene, some of well, the references here are just. I know, and see, and Diane von Hoffman was a fan from Louisville before she became a wrestler, and she used to come to the gardens. So, I mean, that's... Did he just Google search wrestlers from Kentucky? I don't know. <laughs> I, he might have he met her, I think. I think she passed away not long ago, I heard. But anyway, the, and the, the, I've never got uh, understood, but he's been doing it for a while, the thing with Olive Garden. And the meat sauce messiah, or whatever the case, I figured it, at one point, maybe he had you know, met somebody that managed an olive garden. He was trying to work them in her, but it's been on going on for years now. And everybody knows if you're going to do a chain Italian place, Carabas kicks the shit out of olive garden. I mean, olive gardens like a Sabaro at the fucking Clara Barton rest area next to Carabas, but still. Well, I guess you just don't like hospitaliano, but what I was going to say is I think this is a brilliant move. If there's a restaurant you like, let's say I like Gino's pizza. I would talk about Gino's Pizza in every promo, everywhere I went, until I knew I was going to have a flood of Gino's Pizza whenever anyone wanted to impress me or whenever I was nearby. It's a good move. He's letting the fans know, you want to talk to me? Bring meat sticks, meat sticks, meat <laughs> sauce and bread sticks and whatever the fuck goes on in his world. I've, I've heard you don't have to bring a meat stick to Virgil. Ask Diane von Hoffman. Hey! Poor Diane. I'm so sorry to slander this right, woman. She was what a nice girl, too. And you just say things like this. Anyway, so that's 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 Virgil's comeback to the comeback to the comeback. And uh and we're gonna be having fun over the holidays this year on the experience and the drive-thru and the YouTube channel and the Patreon and everything else. Are we done here? Oh yeah, I think so. Oh yeah. We'll be back on the drive-thru though. Another fun, fun, fun episode. Coming at everyone in the next few days. And we'll have fun, fun, fun till Brian closes the drive through window. Fun, fun, fun till daddy takes the checkbook away. That's the AEW theme song, isn't it? <laughs> All right. On that one. <laughs> oh, hey, you've had much worse. Uh, that's what she said. Folks, we'll be back. Sometime soon in the immediate future with more programming. Until then, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Seven stars.
Says I'm in the key demo. I 